Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest rated episodes of Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees the lowest rated episode for the time that Vince Russo was solely in charge of WCW Creative. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vince Russo and I am the Antichrist of professional wrestling. I wear this black band because if we do not stop Russo, he will kill professional wrestling for every one of you. Unless, unless your idea of a good time is having a 320 pound Simone and a thong sitting on your face. From day one that I've been in WCW, I've done nothing, nothing but deal with the bullshit of the politics behind that curtain. I want everybody in here to know just who Vince Russo is. Vince Russo is a magazine writer. Vince Russo is nothing more than a man that's still green behind the ears, wet behind the ears, and has no business standing in this ring. You disrespect the boys, the wrestlers, Truth be known, Vince, you hate this business because you've never, ever had the balls to be a wrestler. I made a promise that I would never go back on television. But every time I leave, they pull me back in. How are you this week, Dan? All things considered, I'm not too bad. I did have a migraine about two and a half hours before we started recording. So if I'm uh, a little bit slow, if I just drop off the podcast at any point, it's just because my brain's misfiring. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. When when you said you weren't feeling well, it, it was quite funny because I, I just listened to this podcast from The Economist, sort of where I got most of my news from, and they were saying about OnlyFans having reversed their decision to keep pornographic content on the site. And as soon as I heard that, you sent through that message saying that you might not be able to make the recording. And I thought, he's focusing in his only dance. No, but you see, the porn, the porn ban on OnlyFans wouldn't have affected me because the only dance idea is the more money you pay me, the more clothes I keep on. I don't know. I've not logged in. I, I don't. But, uh... Money dries up, man boobs come out. Fair enough. I picked the right week to be ill because we've actually booked uh, we've actually booked two guests this week. One of them was just uh, waving a tenner at me to keep me uh, to keep me jubblies at bay. Um, the man who insists that we don't pop in before the recording begins because he'll just giggle like a child. Uh, returning guest for the hat trick, Matty. How are you doing, mate? I'm in a very good mood today. I have no idea why, but I'm in a very good. The last few hours has cheered me right up, very much so. Yeah, because you've been a moody bitch for most of it. Because Man City, but we'll not go into it. I'm, honestly, I'm just kind of glad I'm back. Because, uh, like, like you, you just said before we started recording, the last episode that I was on was quite a good listen. I'm scared to listen to it. <laughs> really, really nervous to listen to that one, because uh, I was there for it. I know the bits that didn't make it in, so I'm scared to know what made it in. I'll take your imposter syndrome and shove it up your ass, man. <laughs> I am fully calling you out on that. And uh, we've, had, we've got an actual founder of a religion as well, first-time guest, Twitch streamer extraordinaire, when he can be bothered, and the founder of the Ten Commandments, 
Tom Skidmore, how you doing, mate? All right, guys. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm doing good. I've been I've been all over the country today. I went up into into York, back in Sheffield. So it's uh, it's been a good trip. Boys, worth that. Uh, I liked your your appearance on the last podcast. Uh, you actually sounded like you knew what you were talking about, which is a rarity. I was it's his specialty. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm quite looking forward. Looking forward to some WCW talk. Oh yeah, uh, from the guy who said pre-record. I'm actually quite positive about this. Don't go <laughs> pretending to be trying to pretend to be cool now just because we're recording you. I'm re- I'm rewriting the whole thing now. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> I just watched New Blood Rising instead. That is my <clears throat> Of course it is. It was WCW 2000, Rob. It must be amazing. One match it's, it. inc- it's incredible when you're hammered. <laughs> There's one match on it that's horrific, but I really like New Blood Rising. really do. I know I'm on an island with that, but never mind. But Tom, seeing as you're a first-time guest on the show, we normally give our guests some homework. We've given you five categories to rate in order of what's most important to you when you watch wrestling. So what's most important? In ring was my answer to this one. This was quite difficult, I must say. I was looking at the the different categories that you've got and trying to decide which one is the most and which one is the least you can put any of them first i feel and you could probably find a match that fits that category and it will be great but uh, for me in ring is probably my my choice as my number five i just like seeing good wrestling nxt for the past like couple of years uh rip nxt in its current format big sad we've got another actual wrestling fan Yay. <laughs> I'm sure that's a trend. I'm certain. Rob will tell me I'm wrong now, but I'm sure that's a trend. Yeah, the last guest we had on uh, was Cam. He he said wrestling was his favourite. We have had... You're the fifth person to say that wrestling's... Oh, I changed my answer then. Changed my answer. So, well, it's, it's five, and you're the fifth person. It's like Booker T in WCW. It's five times, five times. Wow. Day five. Guess it's a book of content in the bit as well. Very exciting. Although he did steal that from DDP. Uh, he was going yeah, yeah. Two-time, two-time, two-time WCW champion. <laughs> so what's your next one? Number four, uh, storyline. Quite an important one. It's easy to have a really good match, but if there's nothing to back it up, you know, what's the point? Really? It just comes and goes like a flash in the pan. Comes and goes. Storyline, I feel, is very, it's quite important to, uh, for me at least, to a good, uh, a good show. Number three, I've got a fan response. A crowd add a lot to a match. Uh, without crowd, falls flat an awful lot. This show that we had to uh, discuss probably could be a good example of that because uh, there's a number of times where I thought, oh, actually, this match is pretty reasonable, and the crowd disagreed. The crowd didn't care, more particularly. So, uh, yeah, fan response is bad. Good. Promo is number two. Good promo. Uh, can help improve the quality of a match, but I don't feel it's as important as the other other things. Uh, and lastly, presentation. Backyard wrestling, WWE-style promotion. doesn't really matter. You know, good match is a good match, good build. Who cares what it's, uh, what's been, how it's produced. As long as you can see it, in the, if it isn't filmed on a potato with Vaseline over the lens. Yeah, I mean, even then, depends. <laughs> yeah. if, it's, if it's good Vaseline, why, why it's a film? Too many jokes attached to that sentence. <laughs> Who's masturbating? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
AstraZeneca people, right? <laughs> Damn. Only blood. after they puke four pints of blood. <laughs> well, how else do you start your mornings? <laughs> I usually wank first, to be honest, and then it's just a, a puke of disgust. We're doing it again! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, mate, if I was doing your intro, I would have said that you were the reason that our episodes now get checked by standards and practices, just like WCW in 2000. Yeah, they were allowed to show certain segments of this show. <laughs> and it was a vignette at the beginning, anyway. I, I did actually uh, hear uh, an interview with Vince Russo uh, the other day while I was doing some research for the podcast. And he'd said that one of the things with standards and practices was if you gave them a script and told them what you were going to do, They'd say no to it. But if you just put something on the air, they wouldn't watch the show. So you'd get away with it. To the extent that last week they had a character who was from Standards and Practices with the same name as the actual guy who was their Standards and Practices liaison. And it just went through and he never noticed. Um, South Park do similar. Because they make the episodes during the week, and obviously they've got to fill that time slot. There's a, there's a lot of chat times where they're like, this is quite risque. They get it to Fox at the last minute, so the censors haven't really got time to skim through it. So some of the things that make it into the episodes probably should be cut out, but because they leave it till the last minute, Fox can't really do a whole hell of a lot about it. And at South Park, you're not just going to pull it because fuck it, are you? It's, you know, it still gets viewed, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a TV trope, I suppose, in a way. It is. The other thing that uh, I did see reported in the wrestling press this week, we're talking about a period when WCW was sort of down in the ratings. You know, they've been sort of praising how high AEW have done recently. It's always sort of been in the top five. Even when Nitro has been battling the ratings, they never slip out of the top five. So that sort of gives you some perspective of where Nitro's been. I like how Matty's just derailed the podcast and we've not actually talked any about Tom's five rankings. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I started talking about masturbation. <laughs> and then we got into rankings. Yeah, we weird, that. Wanking and ranking. What's your favourite room to wank in, Tom? Favourite room? Yeah, rate the, rate the just, rooms. Just, just, the, just the one room in particular. Um, yeah, what's your top room? My top room is your mum's room. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Mate, when she's in there, you ain't fitting in there. <laughs> I, I can't believe you went that way. I thought you were going to say, what's your favourite rank coefficient? I, I'd go for uh, Pearson over Spearman, uh, and that's a reference for Graham. <laughs> so this is staying in, then. <laughs> <laughs> the wine cranks are staying in. Oh, it hurts to laugh. So it sounds like people have been drinking, although I don't think you have, Matty. I've not. No, I am sober at the minute. It's it's a it's a it's a, a health thing at the minute. I'm I'm trying to drop a load of weight because my knees are knackered as it is. So the more weight I can get off, the more chance I've got. Is that fixing itself? So if I stay sober, you know, it's just beneficial all round. Really, stop me being in pain constantly. So tonight I'm drinking a Monster Energy Ultra Fiesta Zero Sugar, which has a grand total of 13 calories in the can and God knows what else and water. Yes, folks, that's right. Matt, he's not drinking. He's this much of a cunt in real life. <laughs> it's the caffeine. I love how Dan thinks that when you drink, it's not real life. <laughs> You've been drunk with Dan, right? Yes. Yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> if I don't remember it, it never happened. Been deleted. So, uh, <laughs> are you drinking, Tom? Uh, yeah, I certainly am. 
I wasn't sure if I was going to earlier on, but then I went to York. I went to Brew York earlier on, and I had a lovely pint of Karma Chameleon. It's a lovely IPA. So that was great. Then I got home, I was thinking, yeah, I'll carry this on. So at the moment, I'm drinking a Gamma Ray, Beaver Town Gamma Ray, American IPA, uh, 5.4%. Lovely can. It's a classic. I'd like a bit of Gamma Ray now and again. Yeah. It's a very good drink. It's one of my favourites. I can't get around. Yeah. And Disneyland may say it's the happiest place on earth, but the Brew York Brewery Tap Room uh, runs it damn close. It really does. Really, I need to get back in there at some point. Not been yet since everything reopened, but I'm sure I'll get there at some point. I am attempting a beer. It's probably not the best thing uh, this soon after a migraine. I've tried drinking um, after them before, and it hasn't ended well. But I'm on uh, just something relatively sensible. It's one of the Northern Monk OFS series. It's OFS 046 which is just an East Coast IPA, 5.1%. And it's very light, refreshing, and just quite nice and tasty. But I didn't think it was uh, sensible to crack into a 12% Imperial Stout when uh, it might make my brain or my stomach go boom. Well, talking about sensible, we're 13 minutes into the podcast. I'm on my second. So the first one was a Roadrunner, which was a New England pale ale from Black Isle Brewing Co., the next one that I'm on right now is another Black Isle Brewing Co. Where it's just called Porter, so they didn't put any effort into the naming of that. It's 4.6%. And then I'm going to go on to a Bornham, and it's a Belgian double. So good times ahead. Uh, and they're all from Salt Airwines. Very nice. So now it's time for the beer sommelier section of the show, where the listeners can sit back and relax and... We haven't mentioned it for a couple of weeks, but I'm going to keep going with it. The virtual Jade Cargill and will be the virtual Smart Mark Sterling and recommend a beer that you should drink while you're watching this episode of Monday Nitro. So, uh, Tom, have you got a recommendation? Not in particular. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I was watching this episode, I was drinking gin. So if that counts as a slight deviation from your beer recommendations, I'd recommend a lovely Palmer Violet gin. We've recommended Terps before. So that's fine. There you go. I'm a violent gin. That is first for a gin recommendation. Do you have anything to recommend, Matty? I was drinking coffee. I, I watched it this morning uh, about 10 in the morning. So I was literally just drinking coffee. It's been a while since I last had a beer, to be honest. So uh, I'm, I'm a dud this week. I'm very sorry. <laughs> are, you sure you don't want to, are you sure you don't want to recommend something by Brewdog and then proceed to shit on them and then ask them for sponsorship? I nearly ordered a Brewdog, actually. <laughs> but no, and uh, I'm, I'm 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 doing everything I can on this uh, this time to stay in sober. So sadly, nothing off me. This is the first time I'm actually going to recommend a beer that I drank the week previously. I believe uh, I want to recommend the Marshmallow and Peanut Stout uh, by Player Brew Co. that I drank last week. It's six percent. It's a, the official description is a marshmallow and peanut butter ice cream milk stout. I gave it three and a half out of five. It was bloody delicious. Excellent. I'm going for Imperial Maple French Toast from Imperial Brewing Company, which is an Imperial Double Pastry Stout at 10%. Uh, it's one that I give 5 out of 5 to untaps. You gave it 4.25, Dan, and Beth gave it 3.75, so all giving it high ratings. And I'm doing this because there were maple leaves all over this show with Landstorm. <laughs> Very nice. So now it's time for Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's beer of the week is Beck's Blue, because after this weekend, I've gone off beer forever. 
So best beer of the week there was Bex Blue, which is alcohol-free lager. And there's a story behind this. We went to a wedding last weekend. It was a free bar. Someone had fallen asleep by 3 p.m. <laughs> what a win that is. It, that's just after the nuptials, isn't it? Was that your good lady by any chance, Rob? Yeah, it was. The trouble is you dangle a free bar in front of Beth and she, she's going to make them think twice about that generous offer. Is it like that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Smithers gets hired to guard Barney for the midnight beer delivery? <laughs> no, it's like that episode of The Simpsons where Barney's and Homer are in the uh, rocket program for NASA, and they, the, <laughs> Homer's trying to sabotage it, and they give Barney some wine, and it just touches him, it touches his lips, and he goes, it begins! And it was alcohol-free. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear, Beth. Yeah, so she, she had a good time. Till 3 p.m. 3 p.m. <laughs> she probably woke up at 5 and went back on it. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. It's like, a, instead of a tactical chunder, it's just a tactical nap. But we've, we've all done that. Yeah. So we talked about last week's episode, how Eric Bischoff has left with Hulk Hogan, and uh, we, we will actually... Uh, maybe not on the episode we cover, but he, he'll certainly be live on the phone to Nitro, if not actually on the show later on. So it's not the last time we'll hear of him in WCW, but it's probably the last time we'll physically see him live on screen and certainly the last time uh, it being creative. So now Vince Russo is on his own in charge of creative. Vince Russo is going to be in charge for the next 13 episodes. He has an average of 2.81. Uh, that compares to the period... And this is the entire period of the Bischoff and Russo and that one on that one off episode with Banks, Taylor and Sullivan, which had an a, a average of 2.83 before. So it's pretty much the same, but it is markedly up from the last two episodes, which Bischoff and Russo did together after they'd fallen out and they're working from home with an average of 2.55. And that's going to compare to when Ed Ferrara, Terry Taylor and John Laurinaitis are in charge of creative. Uh, and the average goes down to 2.29. It's just more Russo steadying the ship. I think at this point it's fairly obvious. Well, I'm say fairly obvious. WCW is on life support. We all know how long it's got left. Um, I think it was already beyond the point of saving. But Russo, you know, it's keeping limping along. And uh, yeah, it definitely, well, it gets worse after he leaves, which is pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the lowest rated episode uh, um, that we're covering today from the 18th of June 2000 was a 2.4 which is higher than the average of the next creative period mm. you know and yeah. that's everything doesn't it that that when you, you know. when you put it that way are you yeah, allowed I, I, to say who came next or is that for, for, for a future episode who was after Russo he said for our Terry Taylor and General Aronitis that's an awful sounding trifecta like Terry Taylor fair enough but John Laurinaitis and um, I've already forgotten the first person. Uh, Ed Ferrara just sounds yeah. awful. Yeah, we have sat through some Terry Taylor episodes and they have been horrific. Mm, I mean, Ed Ferrara is the mind behind Oklahoma, for God's sake. So yeah. tells me all I need to know about Ed Ferrara. Also, fuck Terry Taylor. It's a robber phrase from uh, Bang Bang. Why is that? Just in general, just fuck Terry Taylor. <laughs> okay, fair enough. He's I was gonna say, everything. has he done something? Or... <laughs> He's just shit at life. All right, fair enough. 
the high rate episode that Russo gets is on the 4th of September. It's uh, 3.6, and that's pretty much the closest that Nitro get to catching Raw in probably the last two years of the show. So, you know, they gave, they gave it a good go, although, as we've said, WCW's races are against themselves at the moment, sort of uh, rolls off and out of, out of sight. So the show that we're reviewing today came from Palace of Auburn Hills in Michigan. It was the home of SummerSlam 93 and Slammiversary 7. Wow, and we've got SummerSlam 93 coming up at time of recording for that 90s wrestling podcast. We do, we do. We don't know how many people are in the crowd for this episode. There's, there's not a record of that again. Uh, records from this period are sketchy at best. But there were 23,954 people at SummerSlam 93. Nitro on the 22nd of November 99 had 11,449. I mean, it looked like a relatively decent crowd for this period of Nitro. Obviously, it's not going to be touching that 23. I don't think it was touching the 11 either. It was weird. Just certain angles made it look empty. But then you saw a more wide angle and you saw, oh, they are actually up to the top. It's not just... Matt, was that was that moving on your was that you moving on your chair or did somebody just rip a machine gun for that? It wasn't out of my side because it came from my headphones. Oh, right. <laughs> so I don't know whose side that came from, but it wasn't mine. Yeah, it, it might have been my chair. I mean, it does squeak. I don't know if that, if oh, that's really what there you go. Because <laughs> it wasn't me. It, it's the chair. I promise. Tom it's done a pump. Chair. <laughs> yeah, chair. Tom forgets that we're all on webcam. We yeah. can see it's not the chair. We saw, we saw them cheeks ripple. <laughs> you can see you sat on a beanbag. There's no point saying it's a chair. Yeah, <laughs> They call him Creaky Bum Tom in certain circles. <laughs> Did you name for the church? That was me. <laughs> so now it's time for us to go through the show and go through our collective five most memorable moments of the show, whether they be good, bad, or just talking points. So, Thomas, it's your first time on the show. What's your first moment? Well, I think my, my first moment, actually, I want to do is that we have a talking point because the thing I noticed the most was quite interesting was actually it was a, a Tuesday Nitro, not a Monday Nitro. Of course, it's all advertised on the on the network as a Monday Nitro. So I was looking through and I was trying to find out how many other instances of Tuesday Nitros there were, and there weren't all that many. There was a couple, but they weren't that many. It was quite, it was quite, quite funny. I was wondering why they did it. I think they were pushed to the next by the NBA. I want to say at the time. So this wasn't for the NBA, and this is a sign of things to come. It's a sign that um, the Turner executives don't want Nitro on the channel already, and they're thinking ahead. Uh, it was postponed for a TNT made movie. Ooh. What was the movie? I, I couldn't find that out, but sluts. Um, <laughs> well, um, it, it probably wouldn't have got the ratings that Nitro was getting, but that kind of wasn't the point because one of the things that TNT wanted to do, one of the you know, the death knell for Nitro is that they were all about changing the image. So they didn't want wrestling on the channel. They wanted it to be associated with this being a you know a drama channel rather mm-hmm. than a wrestling channel and i mean that's exactly what happens to world of sport it's like wrestling isn't fashionable we don't you know it's not 
it's not the image we want to portray on ITV, so we're going to get rid of wrestling, despite it being, you know, a decent wrestling draw, even if it wasn't quite what it's been at its peak. It was around the time, though, wasn't it, where Turner was sort of, he was old, he was phasing out of commitments, and the people that were coming in to replace him weren't wrestling guys. They didn't get it. They didn't get the appeal of it. They didn't understand why a primetime slot on Monday was dedicated to it, and so why should it be, and just... And as you said, once the TV went, that was it for Nitro, really, wasn't it? As soon as they lost TV, it wasn't worth a damn anymore, really. It, was it taped on Monday, this episode, though? I think it was live on Tuesday. But yeah. it is funny because we we're soon going to get to the period where Raw goes off USA and goes on to TNN. And it always seemed a bit funny that USA had had Monday Night Raw for years and years and years. And then they didn't seem interested in taking Nitro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did, did they get the option? Did they get the chance? Because, I mean, once the TV went, and obviously at that point Bischoff was looking at... Bischoff was only interested in buying it, from what I understand, if they had the TV deal. Because Bischoff was going to get it cheaper with TV there. So he could come in and essentially do his cultural reboot. Once TV went, obviously McMahon got word of that, and that's when you were buying it on, what, pennies to the dollar, essentially. So... Vince undercut Bischoff massively there. Yeah, I, th- I think AOL Time Warner just wanted rid of it. Um, yeah, I think I think they just they'd rather just kill it than and and that's just crazy when you think of it from a business point of view. But mm. yeah, it, it is what it is. Although we have covered on previous episodes, it was only a couple of years ago when they actually closed the book on all the litigation that was outstanding on WCW. So, yeah. Mm. So you can uh, do isn't just. Mm. Yeah, just. <laughs> When you when you when you genuinely were like when you put your mind to it and go back and think about what WCW was through the eighties when it was it was the, the last surviving territory really that Vince couldn't get his hands on because Crockett just wouldn't sell to him and it then became and then when then obviously when Vince did get his hands on it and it was that horrible Saturday night show and it WCW was like the last surviving thing and then for it to finally fall in the way it did is the ultimate going out with a whimper in wrestling really it, it was it was awful didn't vince actually buy it and then sell it to ted turner i can't remember if vince bought it or if he just bought the time slot i thought that he bought the time slot he definitely turned up and said this is world championship wrestling yeah and it was what was it like black saturday or something like that or whatever it's called yeah because obviously you're tuning in for your wrestling and then you get vince mcmahon and you're gonna twitch off aren't you so, do we think the fact that it's on a Tuesday should go on the list? To be honest, I didn't notice that it was a Tuesday, so I'm tempted to put it. I'm tempted to put it on just just because Tom noticed it and I didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was the first thing that Tony Schiavone said on the uh, live broadcast. <laughs> I wasn't listening to him at that point. This very special Tuesday night edition of Nitro was the opening line to the show. <laughs> well, well fuck me, I guess. <laughs> Across the spreadsheets on Monday, we've had the conversation with you, Dan, that even though the said the 17th, it was on the 18th. I don't remember that conversation. Rob, you're, you're asking Dan to remember dates here. Oh, also, I am fully into migraine brain at the minute. I'm, 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 like, I'm, I'm, I'm running on low power mode. All the necessary tabs have been closed. If I start just have like a spinning wheel on my forehead in like 10 minutes' time. Like the apple ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think maybe we put a pin in this one for now. I'd agree. Yeah. Matty, what's your first one? I want to talk about a wrestler, if that's all right. 
as a talking point. Mike Awesome, most specifically, because everyone knows what WCW do with Mike Awesome. Like they just saddled him with shit gimmick after shit gimmick. But watching him on this show, you realize how we knew anyway, but how damn good he was as a wrestler. And if the gimmick he was given, instead of they were on this episode, they were they were veering into the fat chick thriller gimmick. And good God, did they hammer that into the ground? But Mike Awesome, every match he had, he looked like a star. He looked like he he should have been much higher on the card than he was. I just think it was a crying shame that Mike Awesome was essentially, for the most part, just buried in shit gimmick after shit gimmick by WCW. It's it's unfortunate that the last couple of episodes they weren't doing that. They, they were trying to push him as the killer, and mm. Mike Awesome's great in the ring, and it goes down extremely quickly after he's out of the ring. And I mean, we've said on previous episodes how it just wasn't working. He just wasn't a star. And I think they needed to do something with him. And probably what they did with him was wrong. I don't buy this. And I think the thing that backs up that theory is that after this ends, you know, WCW is over. If Mike Orson's that big star, how come it didn't translate anywhere else? It's a good point, to be fair. It is a very good point. You could have the default argument in that situation of giving them a mouthpiece, essentially. But then you look at the WCW roster at that point and who's who's the mouthpiece that you give him? You know, there wasn't really any any great managers in, no, in the but, company at that point. But he, but he had Mark Madden bigging him up on commentary. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> Sack of shit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mark Madden's a horrible person as well, isn't he? I have no idea. But, He's in wrestling, so probably. Parts of Mike Awesome look, I mean, it's probably safe to say he looks like a star. He wrestles like one, but maybe that's where, you're right, maybe that's where it stops. Like, because it's kind of like with Chris Benoit. He looked the part, he could wrestle, but as soon as you put a microphone in front of him, he just sounded wooden and, like, he, you know, just completely lost. Bret Hart, to a degree, before, you know, he was never that good on the mic. Well, in that um, case, then, this show played to Mike Awesome's strength. Because I don't recall him being asked to cut a promo at any point. That's he just probably... came out. He just came out, had three matches, looked like a just looked like a, a big fucking killer. But he had he had a, like Rob said, he had a lot more about him in this episode than in the previous ones. And I think part of the reason is because he didn't have to talk and he just looked like he was having a laugh and he was actually enjoying what he was doing. Yeah, that's which made all the difference. He was he was he's a big dude. He enjoys hurting people. They, were, they gave him some backstory with him declining taking the US title, you know, just being given it. So mm. he had he had this, you know, he had the story of getting to the final and he's, you know, he wanted to work for it and he could have been a dick and just taken it and all of that. So this this did more for awesome, despite the fat chick thriller stuff, than than the previous episodes we've seen him in. He did cut a mild promo. He did come out and say, turn that shit off or I'll turn it off for you. Which you don't need to say any more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would agree, really. I mean, uh, I, I tried to watch this episode as in isolation, so didn't really, I discounted, discounted, but I tried not to look so much at the things in the past, and so just this episode on its own. You're right, Mike Awesome looked, as his namesake, he looked awesome. He was very imposing. He was much bigger than it seemed to be anyone else. He seemed to have wrestled in the uh, in the tournament, and I was really, I was really on board. Mike awesome. you know, like I would want to see him in subsequent matches. Uh, maybe not with the fat chick thriller gimmick. That was just awful. I hated every second of it. 
uh, I hated Madden on the commentary hyping it up because he was he hyped it up and then he talked about how disgusting the uh, the plant the two women at ringside were every single time and it's like well pick a lane you know and then he ta- and then he talked about how about how hot they were yeah 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 mm-hmm. he, he just like, flip flopping either side that was just terrible but Mike Awesome in terms of his ring prowess was it looked really good. I could I could see myself being a Mike Awesome fan based on just today, uh, that episode. I don't want to delve too deep, but didn't he have quite? I mean, we know how it all ends for Mike Awesome. But by the time the invasion angle came round, didn't he already have quite a few demons at that point? Like, wasn't he dealing with a lot of stuff anyway? Not to maybe suggest that's why he didn't get to where he could have got to, but I mean, if he maybe stepped away from everything because of what was going on, and then when it came to coming, you know, you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at. Because he still looked pretty decent at one night stand when he made the when he had the match against uh, Tanaka, Tanaka was it? Tanaka, yeah. I don't think he necessarily stepped away because you know he, he was very prominent in the early days of MLW when you know they they were trying to become you know the second promotion. Mm. You know, so I mean, the, yeah, there could have been demons. There could have been an element of backing the wrong horse. But yeah, it's just one of these. There seems to be certain people in wrestling that that people that people really like, but at the end of the day, they're not kind of a draw. Mm. There's a lot of them right now. I think I likened it to um, on a on a British wrestling level, where we've um, me and you, Rob, we've I've seen well, I've seen Alex Gracie, you know, get a really big ovation at somewhere like three CW, but he goes to Southside and he gets crickets. It's just what lands where. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always the thing that I said about Matt Riddle, you know, because everyone was saying he was great, but there's kind of no evidence to show that, that Riddle's ever moved the needle anywhere. And then most of all, you know, the five-star shows when there were 200 people in a 10,000-seat arena. In fairness, though, those five-star shows were, like, they had a lot of names on them. You know, from, from the mid-2000s, you had your John Morrison's, your... Uh, Chris Masters, Carlito, and Jack all of Swagger. that. Yeah. And and I would argue that none of those are draws either. No, yeah. But in a, but in a, yeah, in, in a deprived, you know, in a bit of market like in the UK, you'd expect maybe a little bit more. But yeah, if you use them as like a feature attraction for a local indie show, then they'll maybe drag a few more in. But if you're expecting them to pack out an arena, then you're uh, misguided, shall we yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'd be more than happy to go along with my awesome. I would actually piggyback off that, throwing Lance Storm, just for the way they both got the run to the final. Oh, God, yeah, Lance Storm mentioned yeah. And then for me, put on a really good match. Mm. Absolutely agree. Yeah, Lance Storm I mentioned quite heavily in my um, just taking notes and stuff. Lance Storm, again, no, it's knowing what was around this period involving Lance Storm, so that might have like le- like leaned into it, but he was phenomenal in, on this show. I mean, the, the thing with Lance Storm, and, and Lance Storm was going to be one of my points as well, though. Lance Storm is great in the ring, but Lance Storm can cut a damn good promo, and he doesn't particularly want to, and he doesn't particularly want to lean into the gimmick side of it. And his promo was actually about that. You had Pamela Paulshock there, like, trying to come on to him. And, you know, he, he was saying that, uh, you know, when, when he's in his tights, he's only here to wrestle. And, you know, in, in a tournament... Sports entertainment goes out of the window, and all he has I to do is. That. I love that line. I mean, we got three Landstorm promos on this show. 
you know, with the, you know, can I be serious for a minute and the Canadian National Anthem thing. You know, I, I thought it was an amazing landstorm. I thought he had bigger star written all over him and you counterpoint that with Mike Awesome. It's, it's night and day for me. Yeah, so like I say, if, if, Matt, if you're happy to go along with it, um, would you want to lump Lance Storm and Mike Awesome in together? Or shall I throw my first point up as Lance Storm and then we can have Awesome and Storm as two points? Either, I think I might, for now, let's lump them in together, just in case, because obviously we've got, what, 20 points between us <laughs> this Potent- week. So potentially. Potentially, yeah. I feel like if we take two of them up with the two people that we're all going to probably focus on quite heavily when it comes to the awards bits, let's say. We, we might just become a Mike Orson and Lance Storm appreciation episode. Well, we've done enough of those for Mick Foley. <laughs> yeah. Within, to be fair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, though, and I say it over and over again, Lance Storm hates this period of his career, but it's the best period of his career. So mm. I think that, just to piss him off, I think we should put him on. <laughs> <laughs> so Storm and Orson. Awesome Storm. Or Storm. Stormson. No, that sounds wrong. Yeah, it sounds like a porn star. Donald Trump got in, got in trouble for a Stormson. <laughs> Again, as I said before, it's like when James Storm and Christopher Daniels tagged in Stormy Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> what, in her? They tagged in her, did they? <laughs> oh, they're lucky. Right, um... <laughs> so, Dan, what's your first one? Uh, I laughed and it hurt. Um, <laughs> oh, this is quality audio content. Two ticks. Decent um, video um, content. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I, I, I can't remember what the sitcom was, but there was this thing where the, there was an English teacher and the kids were just using pop lyrics to uh, get through the poetry class. And the teacher had gone in the staff room and he was like, look at this poem he's written. Love doesn't have to hurt to feel good. <laughs> it wasn't teachers, was it? <laughs> but for my first one, I'm going back to the old favourite because watching these episodes has made me a Tank Abbott fan. So I'm going for Three Count versus Young Dragons. And I think this is the third or fourth time we've seen this match. And it's a gold record ladder match, which is just mad because three, one, how Three Count got a gold record? Two, how did the Young Dragons steal it? And three, why have they put it up for grabs in a ladder match? But I don't care, because you get Tank Abbott cutting a promo, saying that down the road at the Silver Dome, NSYNC's playing to an empty house because the real deal is here. And <laughs> acting, as, acting as a great... Act- Tank Abbott's a great hype man. And then Tank dances and all is right with the world. He even had his little dancing square still. The match itself is just... It, it's way shorter than I thought it'd be. It's just a few minutes of just madcap sort of palate cleansing, high-flying action. There's people flying off ladders ev- everywhere. Spot in the corner where I think it's um, Shannon Moore gets launched into the ladder and the ladder bounces down and it hits Shane Helms in the gooch, which is always amusing. You have Jamie, uh, Jamie San and Shannon on top of the ladder going for the superplex. Yang hits the big splash. There's just bodies flying everywhere. And in amongst all of that, Tank Abbott goes on to commentary and Mark Madden absolutely shits his pants. But this match, uh, just it, like I say, it was a palate cleanser. It was too short for my liking, but in a way that I just wanted to see more. And just on that ladder match for a 
gold record. The only ladder match in World of Sport, the original, Kendo Nagasaki versus Clive Miles, was for a gold record. Fair enough. Random. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that WCW did not know that. No, I can't, I can't imagine they would have known that, but uh, I appreciate it for that. I, I love this Tank Abbott free count head of the fan club because he loves free count, but he's just a little bit aggressive about it. I loved it. I smiled through this whole match, and I was just watching Tank Abbott. <laughs> like the, them three dancing in the ring, I'm just watching a, a chubby man, bald chubby man with a beard going, and dancing on that on the also, side. I was also legitimately it. one of the hardest men in the world. Yeah, that's why I wrote in the thing. Like, did I just hear Tank Abbott dissenting? Well, what <laughs> happened was, everyone had gone to NSYNC, no one had gone to Nitro. And then Tank Abbott turned up and he said, get to Nitro. <laughs> Everybody filed out in an orderly queue and went to Nitro because they were shit scared of him. Okay, if you look close in the audience, you can see the NSYNC just in the background, shitting themselves. He will fight a palladium, all right? <laughs> he will fight the entire palladium. <laughs> but I stand by what I've said on previous weeks. If we had, like, this version of Tank Abbott and the, you know, the quacking during promos Tank Abbott, if he'd done all that as world champion... Because Russo wanted to make him world champion. If he'd done all that as world champion, just because he's so hard that he does what he wants, that would have saved WCW. Um, I mean, you think about it. If they'd have let that happen, they would have kept, you know, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn. They would have had the new people from the power plant coming through at that moment. They'd have had Tank Abbott. WCW would have been completely different. And it all hinged on not giving. Tank Abbott the belt when he was clearly the right choice. Tank Abbott, the saviour WCW never had. Tank yeah. Abbott is always the right choice. He's on, on the list five times now. That's it. Episode done. <laughs> We've got Tank Abbott, Tank Abbott, Tank Abbott again, and more Tank Abbott. Yeah, I'm cool, I'm cool with that. I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> Uh, can I just go back to the, the actual ladder match itself? Uh, no. Because I no, this is the Tank Abbott okay. appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll yeah, tell Tank Abbott you don't want to talk about three count music. <laughs> no, I, I, was all, I was all for the gimmick. I mean, I'm a big uh, cheesy pop fan, so I was all on board with three count. Their entrance music was fantastic, or would have been fantastic if uh, Monk Madden hadn't been spooking over the entire thing. Would have been better. But the ladder match itself, I did have a, have a quick look. So I thought, well, this is a particularly short ladder match. Is there, has there been a shorter ladder match? Uh, there's only been one shorter ladder match that I could find. So this is the second shortest ladder match, shortest ladder match in WCW history. But the shortest ladder match was Kurt Angle, Invitational Olympic, or Olympic Invitational against was Mark Haywood, I think. Mike Haywood. I vaguely remember that. <laughs> it lasted like all of like less than two minutes. I'm genuinely impressed how much like homework Tom's put into this. I just watch the episode and then forget about it for the rest of the day. And then That's just what turn I do, and I'm here every week. Yeah, I just turn up and hope <laughs> that my notes it will will guide me through. <laughs> I, thought was, I thought it was an interesting little tidbit. I mean, yeah, like, it is, I agree. This six man tag ladder match it lasted what three and a half minutes. I was like, well, it's pretty sure. <laughs> but you know why it lasted three and a half minutes? Because at three minutes, 15 seconds, Tank Abbott stood up from commentary and he said, it's time for this match to end. And did you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he decided. It's all over. We're so it's given us to go home. 
not quite as good as uh, that match the other week where uh, who was it got taken? Was it Shane got taken? Shane Helms got taken out of the six man, so Tank just decided to come in. He just stood on the uh, on the outside, just for the most of the time, just waiting for the tag. He finally he didn't even get a tag. He just stood, stepped in, punched. I think it was Jimmy Yang in the face, knocked him out. That was it. One, two, three, and then he just got on the mic and angrily angrily said, "Now dance." <laughs> <laughs> The dance was very similar to Too Cool and Rikishi's dance, it must be said. Very, yeah, very similar. Good. I know, I, I enjoy it all, don't get me the, wrong. Uh, like, I always think of that tragedy. dance as the Royal Rumble bit, where Rikishi eliminates both of them and then later on, boink. The real tragedy of the uh, the WCW invasion is that we never got three count versus Too Cool and Rikishi in a dance-off. With Tank Abbott on three count side. But we got Chronic. It was fucking chronic. Mm. Imagine if Tank Abbott had gone over in the invasion. <laughs> was, I'd, like, I'd like to see him now. Neither brand would be left. It would just be Tank Abbott. Yeah. For, for oh. three hours on a Monday night. <laughs> we need Tank Abbott versus Brock Lesnar now. <laughs> I, I wouldn't well, start on Brock. As Tank Abbott said, I've just had my livery replaced. But yeah, I could take him. <laughs> <laughs> He is. He's only 56 now, is Tank Abbott, and he genuinely looked... Like, in 2015, he looked like the kind of bloke you'd see in your local who's seen some shit. He looked like that in 2000. I don't know if you'll be able to see it. I mean, obviously, not for the podcast, but, like, can you guys see that on my phone? That's that's Tank Abbott in 2015. He still looks like he could kick the shit out of you, though, doesn't he? Prison Santa. I'm, so I, I'm more on, more than on board with this going on our top five. Did you just call yourself a moron? I said I'm more on board. I'm more than on board. <laughs> <sighs> Rob's in charge of the edit. That ain't making it. In. No. Yeah, it's not no. no. no we'll just keep saying it during the episode. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm more than on board with Tank Abbott going on the uh, top five. You're like, more on board. Yeah, I could, I could not be more on board. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fuck. So, Matty, Tom, what say you? I'm good with it. I'm, I'm happy for Tank Abbott to be on it because he yeah. just made me smile. Yeah. Well, I'm good with it. Sweet. We need to save these Tank Abbott ones for last because it really just is becoming the Tank Abbott Appreciation Podcast, isn't it? Along with Mike Orson and uh, Mike Oslam and Lance Storm, Mike Oslam and Lance Storm, the man who isn't drinking, yeah, slurry <laughs> like a bitch though. <laughs> so it's me next. So I am going to go for the great Muta, who's recently returned to WCW, and one of the things I really liked about this is they had a highlight package right at the start. Because Muta had been in WCW in the late 80s, early 90s, and they were sort of really playing on that. And, and I really wish that WWE would do more of this and use more of, you know, the content on the network when they're promoting stuff. It's showing Sting versus Muta from um, the New Japan WCW Super Show in 1991, and then it's showing Sting and Muta tagging against the Steiner brothers. We get the first match that Muta's in is a match with Vampiro, Unfortunately, the insane clown posse have found their way back to WCW, which... <sighs> nobody, nobody, tell, nobody tell Wing Commander Nash. 
The Kiss Demon is now under the power of Vampiro, following on that storyline, which has been one of the better storylines that we've we've covered in, in previous episodes with uh, Vampiro and the Kiss Demon. In terms of, you know, the Insane Clown Posse's involvement, that wasn't great. But we did get, right before the match, Muta doing the Muta miss to Violent J. He took out hip-hop guy Fieri. Yeah. So that was at least something. Um, I thought we got a, a relatively decent match from Muta and Vampiro. You know, we got Muta with the handspring elbow. We, we got the um, the moonsault. You know, we were kind of getting the greatest hits at this point from Muta. And then we, obviously, he um, progresses into the semifinals of the US um, title tournament. Uh, and we get him in the match against Mike Awesome. Uh, we get him misting Mike Awesome, which gets Mike Awesome off commentary. So it's a double whammy. Into, Mark, um, Mark Madden. Yeah, Mike Madden. Misting <laughs> Mike Madden off commentary. It's a double bonus because Mark Madden's off commentary for a while. I was just really happy to see Muta back in WCW. You know, th- this is kind of one of the periods that I, I really remember Muta from, this um, 2000 run. So it was sort of great to see him in this period. And they don't call him great because he's bang average. <coughs> he looks, he looked very good, to be fair. He did look very good. And as, as I texted you earlier about it, Rob, actually, his music really threw me off because it did not fit the, the, the look he had at this point in his career. Random facts about ICP, around this time... They were involved in a really, really bitter rap rivalry with Eminem. And they were trading diss tracks backwards and forwards with each other and also appearing on WCW TV. I am really disappointed in Eminem because he should <laughs> have looked at the insane clown posse and be like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot clown pole. I mean, Weird. Weirdly, it was Eminem's fault. He was he had a, a record release party in, um, in Detroit and he put on the poster that Insane Clown Posse might appear, but never actually asked them, and they took they took umbrage with him trying to, you know, get clout off their name. So, um, so yeah, that's how it all started, weirdly. This was Eminem. very early days Eminem It well. was early days Eminem. This is before the Slim Shady uh, LP Eminem. This is like infinite era Eminem. Fair enough. Talking about a Japanese Eminem sort of tie-in, years ago... Koreana. Years ago, I went to Japan and was in quite a nice restaurant and they were playing an M&M album and it, it, was, it wasn't censored in any way. There was just swearing and stuff and everyone was just sat there enjoying fine dining. <laughs> As someone who speaks English, I was like, this isn't right. That is my kind of joint. Mm. I'll be tempted to go along with, with Muta purely for uh, misting Mark Madden. <laughs> Because it's nice to finally see him get some shit. In this episode, he's crapped himself being confronted by Tank Abbott. In fact, not even being confronted by him, just by Tank Abbott being around him. And now he's got misted by Muta. The only shame is that he had those stupid fucking glasses on. What about you, Tom? What do you reckon? Yeah, Muta looked fantastic. As Mark Madden is an awful, awful person. And I'm so <laughs> glad he got misted. I don't understand why... Somehow he's got in, he's in the power where he can just leave his position in his job on live television and go to the back to get changed. I don't know who signed off on that, but that is ridiculous as why he could do that. But the fact is he comes back with a different shirt, but hasn't cleaned his face. He's still partially misted. Like, make an effort, man. Yeah, but, yeah. Dirty bastard. Yeah, but, uh, but going back to Muta, one of the highlights uh, for me of, of this show 
he he looked like the professional that he is. You know, he'd done it for years. It looked effortless. It looked great. The fact that the final uh, awesome against Storm was a fantastic um, end to the tournament. But I'd have, I'd have happily seen Muta in that spot as well. He looked and I evil. Muta's still going. Uh, he appeared in uh, God. Was it was it TNA or AEW? He was most recently in. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's uh, Noah champion. I'll look it up now. It was um, the Ring of Honor New Japan show, was it? He's uh, currently signed yes. to Pro Wrestling Noah, where he is a former GHC heavyweight champion. But he's also only 58. He lost the title on June 6th. Yes, it's not. It's not long. And he, he, I mean, I mean, the picture on his Wikipedia is from 2009. But the last image I saw of him, he doesn't look much different from that, and he still looks like he's in ridiculously good shape. To be fair, at 58. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that he's still going. He had a brief, I believe he had a brief foray into TNA where he wasn't wrestling, but they were using him to try and uh, get over the Great Sonata when they had the Wrestle One partnership and they had Bound for Glory in Tokyo. Ah, right. uh, they had a match. Did he? Yeah, Great Sonata and Great Muta had a match and Sonata went over. It's all part of this. Oh, Dan thinks Sonata wasn't booked well in TNA. Thing. I never said that. You did. <laughs> I, no, think, um, I, didn't say, I didn't say he was booked badly. I said the problem was that all they had for the X Division was Sonata versus Tigre Uno that was for a very long time, and it felt like that, that's, what, that's what it was every week. Rob, did Dan say this in real life, or was it drunk, Dan? Oh, that's fair enough. Yeah, it, it yeah. yeah. Once Dan's had a beer, it becomes fucking fantasy la-la land, remember? So it's... <laughs> I am not responsible for anything that man says. <laughs> Step through the forbidden door and chat shit. <laughs> the thing is, I think Great Muta is, is one of them names that even if you don't know much about Japanese wrestling, it's like with Giant Baba and it's like with Tanahashi these days, you just know the name. The name Great Muta, you, you know it, there's gravitas to it. So yeah, and, and to see him looking that good in 2000 still even though he was only, what, 39 at that point, was, was, it was nice to see, and he, he, he was very competent in the ring as well. So, Matt, would you put this on the top five? Yeah, I think I would. Cool, we've got our third one there. Just a little bit of background about the Muta situation in WCW at this point. IGN Wrestling report that Muta is going on a six-month excursion from New Japan to WCW. The report at the time, and in the week that Russo and Bischoff go home and Banks, Taylor and Ferrara are in charge of booking, Terry Taylor is also working in talent relations. And they, you know, the article claims that because Russo's not there, Taylor's able to sign Musa. Now, this sounds great, and it sounds as if you know Russo's the guy that's not going to use him and Taylor really wants him in. He's there for a six-month excursion. Russo is in charge of booking for 10 weeks of that. Russo uses him 22 times. Taylor's in charge of booking afterwards. Anyone want to guess how many times Muta gets used after that point? Oh. Less than the kiss demon. Right, so Matt, Matt had four. Do you want to go higher or lower than four? Fucking Rob's price is right over here. <laughs> no, what's the one where it goes higher or lower the cards? Was it? Was that price is right? Play your cards right. Cards right. Play your cards. It had, the, it had the word right in it. Fuck it. Um, I'm going to say five. It's far side. Go, Tom. I, uh, oh, well, well, like a three then. Give her that. Well, you're, you're zero. Tom's <laughs> office, 
And Matt, he was on the nose. You should have gone with his second answer. It was zero. Yeah. <laughs> zero, yeah. As soon as um, it, yeah, it became more clear as that went on, it was, it wasn't, yeah, fuck me. And fuck yeah. Terry Taylor. <laughs> so Terry Taylor is famous for being a stooge to the dirt sheets, but I think this shows, you know, that, that he's put out a story there, but he's got no intention of backing up that narrative. Yeah. What a cunt. Yeah. Shock horror! It's uh, who would have thought it's somebody in uh, in wrestling, like leaking information, uh, false information for their own ends. I'm, I'm I'm appalled. Someone in wrestling who's full of shit. <coughs> there's there's a normal dirt sheet writer that's full of shit. To be fair, so it's... did he leak it to uh, Uncle Dave? Did it go to Dave? Well, to be fair, I read it in IGN, but uh, yeah, I'm presuming that it would have been all over. Mm. Uh, the other thing that's said about this time is that after this period, people say that Muta would have gone to WWE, but his WCW contract was so restrictive that he couldn't wrestle for them. But he did, he never signed a full-time contract with WCW. It was an excursion. He was always going to go back to New Japan. So the narrative in the dirt sheets is just, just crazy. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. In fairness, six months before this, on an episode of SmackDown, they had the Mean Street Posse involved in an angle with Kai and Tai on, on, in WWF, and it was racist as hell. So I, I, I wouldn't have blamed Muta for staying. I was watching it and genuinely watching one of the promos, I, I was cringing. The way that, the, if I just say to you the way that the Posse were talking, you can probably fill in the blanks, right? Yeah. Literally cringing about it. It was fucking awful. So thank God Tom, he didn't. Talking about things that are fucking awful, Tom, what's your next point? <laughs> oh well you, you've led into a good segue here because there's a wrestler that I really like you, you're one of these wrestlers that you feel like no one else seems to get but you really like yourself and mine is my next talk about is uh, Jeff Jarrett I love Jeff Jarrett <laughs> I love Jeff Jarrett so much I'm just going to throw this out there uh, no <laughs> Rob let's not talk for the next 10 minutes just let these two have a back and forth yeah? my it's head already hurts enough <laughs> because Dan, 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 Dan will deny this because he's had a few drinks and stepped through the forbidden door. I mean, he he's given Jeff Jarrett MVP of the, the night twice on these podcasts. I've had one, so I've had one beer. He's, <laughs> he, he's given him matches of the night and he has recommended him for spots on the top five before. So I think he I have a- swallowed my pride and gone against all of my principles. <laughs> I have been objective and reasonable. I still detest Jeff Jarrett. You've just shot him down without hearing Tom's point. That is not reasonable. <laughs> let, let Tom I said can be. <laughs> Do be then. Let Tom give his point. You, point derailed point. The to- you derailed it all to talk about wanking earlier. At least I'm on topic. <laughs> Tom. My, my point for Jeff Jarrett is uh, no, he's great. My point for Jeff Jarrett is no. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what it is about, uh, about Jarrett. I, I watched a lot of uh, 2004 TNA, 2005 TNA. I know he booked himself to be the best. I liked it. I thought it was great. I think he's a fantastic heel. Uh, I think he does good work. I liked his guitar shot on um, Stevie Ray at ringside. And I even enjoyed the fact that they gave an El Cabong reference, which was fantastic. I laughed a lot at that comment. That was good. He, he just exudes that kind of energy that I relate to in wrestling as a heel. You just want to hate him. And See? it's good. He's the, the good heel. 
to Tom's point, Jarrett was over with his crowd. And yeah. you can't, just looking at the signs in the crowd, there, there was more Jarrett signs than anyone else. No, there wasn't. There, there really was, man. Like, honest to God, I saw so many Jeff Jarrett signs in that crowd. He, mean, yeah, he was over with that crowd. Slap nuts is completely different. I, there were a lot of Jeff Jarrett signs. I will give credit to the uh, the uh, the coming through the crowd and the uh, the guitar shop. Yeah, it shut Stevie Ray up. That was really good before he even got talking. Yeah, Stevie <laughs> Ray was genuinely worse at commentary than Booker T, <laughs> which he made less sense. The thing is that when I saw Stevie Ray was on commentary, I was really looking forward to it because we've seen some decent Stevie Ray promos sort of on this run of episodes that we've done. Whenever I've heard Stevie Ray speaking in recent years, he seems very educated. He seems much better than Booker T at sort of putting his point across. Comes across. I think he comes across very well from everything I've ever heard of him. Not, not that I can hand on heart say I've heard that much from him. So when I saw I was on commentary, I thought, you know, this could be interesting. But we've had some out of left field, like when Crowbar was on commentary, it was amazing. So I thought, you know, Stevie Ray has a really good chance of, you know, really being great in commentary. And then Jeff Jarrett comes and hits him <laughs> up the head with the guitar. <laughs> It did save the show, though, because that fifth, that 10 minutes that he was commentating, he was poor. And that isn't to say that Stevie Ray can't talk. That's not to say he wasn't a good wrestler. Is he, he wasn't good. You know, he, yeah. I don't think commentary suits everyone, you know, and I don't there's think it suits Stevie Ray. There's a vast difference between cutting a promo and being able to commentate. Yeah, I think cutting a promo, you've got that three, four minutes where everyone's got their attention on you. But when you're on commentary... The show's kind of on your shoulders, you know. If the commentary is disjointed and makes no sense, the show's going to be. I mean, look at current WWE. The show becomes difficult to watch because you just you don't want to listen to it. You know, you don't want to hear what they're saying because we're just talking shit. And Stevie Ray just seemed lost from the first moment he started talking. Call me old and grumpy, but a wider point on commentary. Commentary for me is, I always prefer a two-man booth. Or you can have a three-man booth when they've got good chemistry. You know, that has worked, like in the early Nitros, when we had Heenan, Bischoff, and a rotating third of either someone like Mongo, McMichael, or Zabisco, or those commentary. Uh, he, did, he did the pay-per-views more than, oh. uh, more than the Nitros. But So, you know, the three-man booth can work. But it's when you get to something like, um, well, the one that springs to mind for recency bias is Rampage, AEW Rampage, when you've got four commentators there all trying to get the stuff in all trying to get get the words out and it just becomes just becomes auditory bullshit and it's just background noise back on to jeff jarrett i'm more than happy to put the king of the mountain on the top five agreed is that agreed dan nope doesn't matter does it because <laughs> that dan is outvoted at this point well, well it, it, it does matter it's got to be unanimous well, we'll put a pin in it, but if it does come down to, you know, a situation, we do have a majority on it, don't we? Yeah. So, I can see people have refreshed drinks. Anyone got anything new on the go? So, on the Beaver Town there, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Same <laughs> Beaver Town. It's a four-pack, so it's going to be the rest of my night, I think. I like Beaver Town. I think they're a decent brewery. Um, they're good, yeah. I think we've mentioned this on the show before. The, the, the type of beer, so, you know, 
you'll go to a random pub that you'll never think will have decent beer and they'll have some beaver town in the corner it's, it's the one reliable decent beer that seems to be able to sneak into uh, the least expected locations yeah, I'm so glad every time they've got um, a beaver town on, on draft the, f- the first time I tried it was in a uh, a local uh, hipster bar and they had Gamma Ray on tap and charged me um, six pounds a pint which is ludicrous in Sheffield that's London um, prices it is I, I said go on then I'll have one and then drank that all night Bank account wasn't happy, but I certainly was. Did you ever go to the Devonshire Cat before it closed down? Yes, lovely bar. Loved it. Well, because they had all those beers sort of behind glass next to the bar, so it's like a pub slash sort of beer shop, although you had to drink it on site. But it, it was one of those places, it's like a jeweler's, where you know it's expensive because they've turned the prices the other way around. <laughs> Devonshire Cat was a great pub then, in that you went there if the line for Cobb was too long. Yeah. That was from my experience of uh, going to the We went there between show between wrestling shows in Trafalgar Warehouse uh, after going to Taco Bell. Always ended up in there, always sat there and thought, why are we in here? <laughs> <laughs> I like Taco Bell, but they do not do good tacos. No, tacos are the worst. Burritos, yeah, burritos are a lot better in Taco Bell. Yeah. Quesadillas are good. Mm. Well, this week, welcome to Mexican Week on Fat Bastard Chat. <laughs> <laughs> They have beer at the Taco Bell in um, Sheffield. They do. I think it's just salt, but, you know, it's still beer. It's not a bad thing. They won't give you that at the drive-thru for some fucking reason. There's about (laughs) four four good bars over the road from Taco Bell. Don't settle for Taco Bell beer. Yeah, but Go to the bars and get their tacos. (laughs) I have risked another beer. I'm just on the next one along in the Northern Monk OFS series. Uh, so it's OFS 047. It's a, uh, a Dole Whip ice cream pale ale. It's Ooh. very sweet. It's five and a half percent. And that should see me through the rest of the pot. But yeah, it's very nice. Because Northern Monk do not make bad beer. Superb. I've got a Little Dorado. It's a Hazy Session IPA, which is 4.2% from Penrose. And then I've got a Noon Whistle. Bernie Milk Stout, which is 5%, and that's from NWB Bruco. And I believe they're both from Beer 52 and Chicago Pack that was halfway through last week, so found some more. The name of that just got better with every word. (laughs) What was it again? It's a Bernie Milk Stout. Who by? It is NWB Co. Brewing. Just everything about milky, burning milk stout, burning milk stout. <laughs> oh, no, it's Bernie as in um, oh. Bernie Sanders. No, no, burning milk. It's on yeah, fire milk. They, they, <laughs> milk. they milked Bernie Sanders for that stout. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've got the subtitles on on Skype. So he tries to work out what you're saying. He came, definitely came up NWA stout, which I thought was quite, uh, quite an amusing. <laughs> I think I said NWA just because whenever I see a three-letter acronym, I think wrestling. <laughs> Program deal on the brain. So, Matty, it's you next. Yeah, I've just realised my second and third point can kind of be amalgamated into one, to be honest. Predominantly, for this episode in particular, at this point, if this is what WCW was like in 2000, the in-ring, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the in-ring. The in-ring was brilliant, like... 
we were saying before we started recording, this show had uh, 11 matches. And they had to find time to fill it all in, so the guys never really had time to get all the stuff in because you have 11 matches in the two-hour-long show, you're going to obviously have to shorten a bit of it down. But that's as a result of the fact that if you look at the talent pool of that time, they had, uh, sorry, I've written the names down, that's why I'm looking down. You had Lance Storm, Mike Awesome, Booker T, there was an Agent Muta. Shane Douglas was was really good on this show in the two matches he had. Scott Steiner was really good. Again, like, whenever he was on screen, you wanted to see what he was going to do. Billy Kidman was always a really good wrestler. Jeff Jarrett, he was always safe to get you through a really solid match. Goldberg was over huge. There was guys who weren't even on the show, like Sting, Scott Hall, Rey Mysterio. The talent pool in WCW and the in-ring product does make you wonder how it failed as badly as it did. And I get it, the financial side, all the backstage stuff. But on the flip side of that, a lot of the promo stuff and the backstage stuff was quite poorly written. Topped off for me with Tori Wilson's promo, which showed that Vince Russo shouldn't write for women because it inevitably just comes down to sex and menstruation. Every single time. I think the thing with promos in this era, though, essentially the, the, they've got the storyline to get across, but they're not telling them what to say. It's not like a scripted promo. Mm. Um, the, the one thing you'd say is really poorly written. I, I, I just watched Raw before this podcast. And every single segment of Raw felt completely siloed. You know, this is the Lashley segment. This is the Miz segment. This is the Alexa Bliss segment. You know, there was nothing that interconnected through the show. This show was a tapestry. There were storylines going all through the show, interconnecting with each other. You know, there were things that happened in one match and, you know, like pull through to later. There was storyline themes that sort of, touched each other you had sort of Kidman coming back in the second round of the tournament when there's Lance Storm and Shane Douglas all, all those kind of things that sort of weaved the way through the show and it was far more complex than the wrestling to get me to there and that's not just a raw thing that an AEW is completely siloed this is an environment where people move through it and interact with each other and one story bumps into another I, yeah, I'd agree. I would, I would absolutely agree. It did feel it was well. It, it was competently written car crash. I think is is the best way to describe it. There was a shitload going on, but it didn't overwhelm you. At no point did you have to go back and go, "What the hell? What, what was that? Why was that going on?" Where it was all explained, and you got why all of it was happening. And I've said it before. This is a hallmark of Russo. The car crash it TV. Really is. It, it, no, not even no, not even that. If I can, if I can finish Russo yeah, throughout his throughout his times. <laughs> let me finish, please. Let me finish. Okay, I'm finished. <laughs> Sorry, call yeah, back to South Park the movie. Um, <laughs> fuck's sake. But throughout when he's solo booking Raw, when he's so when he's booking Nitro, Russo weaves stories into each other throughout the show. He'll sprinkle story points throughout the show, like we see in this one with Steiner throughout. He's waiting for Goldberg. There's a point for that little segment. There's a point for you know the, the there's a reason why he attacked him the built standard from the start as the nutcase that feeds into the main event that links into the cat story you know what's going on with him it's part of what's happening in his life in wcw if you like like rob says it is a tapestry and it's it, it's one of the positive aspects when i say typically russo jerry springer-esque well not even that because jerry springer's stories are all as you know, as the drown, as the intrigue, but they're all isolated. You don't see one Jerry Springer episode feeding oh, yeah, into yeah. the next one, or you don't see one. You don't see the start of a Jerry Springer episode with yeah, um, one set of people linking to 
a second, you know, a second set of people at the other end. I should clarify. Or even well, pass by each other. It, it looks like it should be a mess, but it makes sense. I think the thing you can say about Russo is some of the individual storylines in and of themselves feel crazy and wacky and, and what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's like this other wrestling shows are playing two-dimensional chess. This is like three dimensions. There's so much going on, so much interconnectivity. And even if the individual kind of nodes within that aren't great, the fact that taken a step back and had this picture of the macro as of what's going on and how it all feeds into each other. It's it world feels, building. It feels like an episode of The Simpsons or whatever, where you've got like the A part and the B plot and the C part and they all sort of interweave with each other. This is television writing, which you just don't get in other wrestling. Hmm. Sorry, I was taking a swig then. But yeah, that, that's precisely what I was trying to drive at. And we're doing it again, we're talking over Tom. <laughs> I was waiting for Tom to speak, to be fair. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right, man. I mean, the number of stars you could see on the card was fantastic. The matches were great all night long. I wanted to see Steiner beat the living shit out of someone. It looked like he could at any possible moment. How they managed to get him into a match, beyond me. But he he was there. Goldberg came out over his hell hell. And I wanted to see that match. I wanted to see them beat the shit out of each other. You know, they did a good job driving, or at least just through this show alone, that Steiner's a nutcase, Goldberg's a big challenge, let's have them collide. The fact that they almost gave that away on free TV was mind-blowing to me. I'm glad they had the DQ finish and the the no-contest finish to the match, because I do want to see it. I would happily keep watching WCW at this point to see what Stein is going to do next, what Goldberg is going to do next. Are they going to fight each other? Is Kevin Nash getting involved? What's that angle going to go? And with a number of other matches through the night, you you do want to see where it progresses. You do want to see where it builds. And it leads back to the initial start, you know, where we talked about the what's important in wrestling. Storylines are important in wrestling. That does make you want to tune in each week. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. How over was Nash as well? And that's the thing. Yeah. And Kevin Nash, to me, was the, was the dichotomy. The, the, he showed both why WCW should have survived and at the exact same time why it shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. You've got your big returning star coming out, massive pop, and he's downing a beer while he does it. <laughs> like, that there shows exactly what the, the attitude backstage was like. You know, like, oh, he's, he's, he's returning, it's huge, it's a big thing. Oh, he's swigging a beer, mint. Is that part of his gimmick? Nah, I just pointed a beer. I, I don't know about you, man. I looked at that and I thought, that's pretty fucking cool. It looked I badass. Talking, I thought you were talking about Hangman Page for a second. <laughs> it, it looked badass, but at the same time, again, it's using hindsight, really, but knowing what the attitude was like backstage when you, when you were Kevin Nash, when you were Scott Hall and you could do what you wanted, it kind of came off as a little unprofessional on Nash's part. But again, he was that over, so it didn't matter. I remember seeing an interview with Nash once, and I don't know if he was referring to this specific episode or just, you know, the process in general. But he said at one point he'd gone to standards in practice and said, you know, can I go out with a red cup full of beer on the show? And he said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You can't, you know, we absolutely forbid that. And he said, well, can I just go out with an ordinary beer on the show? And they were like, let's check. And then they were... (laughs) 
What? <laughs> Jesus, man. American TV. <laughs> more, like, more like standards and fuckwits. Good God. So what was your point, Matt? Which one? Because <laughs> I thought we, you started out talking about a Tory promo and we've ended up just praising the storytelling. Yeah, it was It was more the... Um, like It goes back to an episode of Raw that I can't remember if we, what, if we watched it. I think we did. I think it was the highest ever episode, rated episode of Raw that we watched, where China ended up talking about how she's all woman because of this and goes on a list of, 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 of female things. And then this Tory promo very quickly devolved into, oh, I was faking my orgasms, blah, 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 blah. And it just felt like this is just, uh, it just feels unnecessary. But the in-ring was very good on this show. I wrote this down because it was a wonderful quote from Tory in her promo. Give me a moment. I did write it down. Yeah, I'm glad back. you did because I was going to. The quote was, all I could think about was getting my ass franchised. <laughs> well, Which was <laughs> amazing. <laughs> at, least, at, at least she was on brand. You've got to <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, the, the content of that Tory promo wasn't great, but Tory looked a million dollars in oh, every did. every inch a star. Yeah. You know, just the presence she had, you know, and I mean, we've said this since day one, since we, we saw her actual debut in WCW. You know, she is unbelievably charismatic and looks mm. like an absolute star. And, and almost with people like that, you know, with people like The Rock who are so charismatic, they kind of get away with saying shit because they can pull it off. Shane Douglas didn't really get away with his Rafa Benitez impression where he just kept saying fact. <laughs> <laughs> she did make Shane Douglas look better though. If you know what I mean, like having her next to Shane Douglas made you give a fuck about Shane Douglas. Tori's involvement throughout the match as well was mm. was really good, yeah. and uh, and I think even even later on as well, when she was uh, she she launched did, who did she launch herself at? Later on, she launched herself onto was it launched herself onto Lance Storms. Must back. have been Lance, yeah. Yeah. You know, trying to interfere. So no, she was on Kidman's back because Lance Storm actually came in to save her. I thought I thought Storm came in to. I thought Storm came in to save her from Kidman when he was going to, like, yeah. put her over his oh, knee or some shit. Didn't like that bit. No. no. Like, he's meant but, to be a good guy and he's dragging this woman in by a hair. And it, to me, it looked like he was setting up for a fucking DDT or some shit. He's been the Hulk Hogan school of how to be a face. Although, as I've said numerous times, this is 2000 and we hope attitudes have changed. Mm. But this has been plenty. Dustin Rhodes is grabbing Jack Swagger's wife out of the crowd and possibly kissing her. So, for all we can say about this being uncomfortable, wrestling has not addressed this. A few years ago, Ric Flair and Becky Lynch on a, on a pay-per-view. I, I don't remember which one, but Ric Flair did it to Becky Lynch on pay-per-view. So, you know, and it just got laughed off on commentary. It's awful. And, you know, you, you say about sign of the times, but, you know, things need to change. Mm-hmm. But for the match itself, for Doug uh, for franchise versus Billy Kidman, and Tory's involvement, you know, physical involvement in that, you know, interfering and, and all the rest of it, I would be more than happy to put franchise versus Kidman on as a positive. I think the whole show's wrestling was a positive. There wasn't a bad match. Mm. Which is incredibly rare to say. We've had a lot. Of, 
Well, to be fair, we've not had much like awful wrestling recently. We've, we've had a we've had a few here and there, but this is definitely the most one of the strongest shows wrestling wise we've watched. And thing is, I mean, I say it all the time, wrestling has got so many different genres and different facets of. There was something for literally everyone across this show. Mm. At least one match that everyone could get on board with throughout this show. Rob's favourite phrase: "Wrestling is a buffet." Yeah, absolutely. It is a buffet, and it left me a little bit confused when I watched this show because it was very wrestling heavy for a Russo show. Hmm. It was. You know, you, like Tom pointed out before, the uh, the length of the ladder match, and you know, you point you're never going to have long matches when you've got eleven in what's it, about an hour and a half, mm. hour and forty five yeah. tops. But nothing felt too short. Nothing left me disappointed. Everything left me wanting more. So I, if you, if you, I don't know, Matt, if you want to widen the point, and so I'm sorry, I'm moving it away from the uh, from the promo. But if you wanted to widen it and put the overall match quality on, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's where I would drive. At, absolutely. I think the in ring on this show was spectacular for what it was. Like I say, no one really got time to shine, but everyone managed to do enough that you were invested in. The show for me, because of the in-ring, no, no point dragged. The hour and I a half the, shot by. I think the other thing you said, they didn't, you know, people maybe didn't have enough time. There's a lot of wrestling where people get too much time. Yeah, especially these days in AEW and yeah. New Japan, for example. We don't need 45-minute yeah. matches every week. Yeah. You know, so... I think, and I think it struck a really nice balance because, yes, it was a great wrestling show, but I don't think that detracted from the storylines. So they balanced it up. So I'm more than happy to put this on for the quality of the wrestling. Tom, it's uh, up to you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Superb. We've agreed on four so far. So, you know, if Dan. Pulls one out of his ass, then... Uh... Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett. <laughs> I want to talk about Scott Steiner. Okay, Jarrett. <laughs> because Scott Steiner throughout this show was made to look a bigger star than I think I've ever seen him be booked like in, in any promotion, to be quite honest. The opening was a recap of Steiner being a nutcase, assaulting the cat, betraying Nash, getting Scott Hall's contract terminated beating up Booker T and Stevie Ray, assaulting the cat, assaulting Canyon, assaulting Jarrett, even assaulted Mike Tanay in an attack so brutal it wasn't allowed to be shown on TV. And then they referenced how in any other walk of life Scott Steiner would be in jail, as if that's some sort of good thing. But it did turn out to be a pretty good thing. It turned out to be a pretty entertaining thing. And they said that every disciplinary action makes Steiner worse. They, they really sold the crazy from the get-go. And then to add to that opening vignette, that opening sort of recap, you've just got Steiner just destroying Booker T's car for no re- well, for seemingly no reason. I think it was Booker T's car, wasn't it? Stevie it Ray's, was. I think. It, no, it, it was Booker T's car. Ah, that right, he, right. Off after winning the world yeah. championship, and he's, the reason he's it is because he wants a world championship match. Yeah, but he's just beating the fuck out of it with a pipe, smashing all the windows in, taking the mirrors off the lot, and it's like Rick Steiner just comes in, is like, all right, maybe maybe fuck off now. And it's not long before we see him again because Steiner sees the cat in the ring with the Nitro girls cutting promo about the uh, the US title tournament. Steiner sees it on the monitor backstage, breaks the monitor as if it's the monitor's fault, 
and then just heads to the ring. As soon as his music hits, the Nitro girls scatter. The cat gets a security guard to stand in front of him. The security guard just fucks off, as you would. It was a brilliant beat. I just thought it was funny as hell. Steiner goes after the cat, saying Detroit's his home. Uh, sorry, Detroit's his town. He calls him a son of, son of a bitch, demands a title shot, or break cat's neck. Booker comes out to make the save. Rick jumps Booker from behind. Stevie Ray goes uh, goes in from the commentary. Brawling shoes. Secure, security pull apart. Cat calls Steiner a stupid bitch, which was, I did. It was probably the best thing Cat's ever said. And you stupid just, bitch! And then he decides to make Steiner versus Goldberg and tells Steiner to kiss his ass and makes himself the special guest referee. And then throughout the show, we've got Steiner just sat there waiting for Goldberg. He kicks the shit out of poor Ralphus and Norman <laughs> Smiley because they have the nerve to walk through a door. But again, it's just selling the crazy. We actually get uh, Steiner and Goldberg brawling backstage. Yep. Um, we get the little brawl, we get the little tease. Um, you've got the security that are taken out, then you've got the wrestlers in to break it up. They get dragged away. All the rest of it. And then we get the, the main event. Now, a lot of Nitro's main events are not brilliant as far as I've seen. This quite, we've had some really good ones. We've had some average ones. We've had some shitters. But more in the more of the final two. But this one just absolutely was a home run for me. Just got two big beefy bastards just knocking seven bells out of each other, chucking each other about. And then uh, you know, you get Booker T interfering when cats um cats taken out. And then you get the return of Nash, which got was the biggest pop of the night. Pretty grim nickname for Kevin Nash, uh, the sex executioner. Just, uh, I, I didn't like saying that, and I won't say it again. Yeah, um, no, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it left you wanting more. It left you wanting to see where it went. You know, with the involvement of Nash, you wanted to see more of Steiner versus Goldberg. I'm very much with Tom. I would happily see that play out on a pay-per-view. Uh, don't know if it ever did. But yeah, Steiner was just right there throughout the show. They built him to be a bigger deal than I've ever seen him built. I told you he was the man in 2000. No, he, he was great during the show. <laughs> I actually do remember that one, Rob, yeah. I did, I did get a laugh out of a door, no selling for Goldberg. That made me chuckle. Goldberg struggling with the door, so, so, so Steiner had to kick the fucking thing to open it and let Goldberg in. It reminded me of that limo that didn't sell for Goldberg. Uh, just, just, no, inanimate objects don't seem to sell for Bill Goldberg. <laughs> I mean, Goldberg was out for months injured after that limo. Yeah, he buggered his hand majorly, didn't he? <laughs> Don't punch a fucking blacked-out limo window, obviously. Oh. Unless you're wearing long sleeves. Yeah, I mean, this is a man who headbutts doors to hype himself up, to be fair, so... Bless him. <laughs> I mean, you've covered most of the main points on that main event. I, I actually really enjoyed it. I felt like it had the bingeability factor of wanting to go and see what next as as you say a little side note i did like the medesia and rick steiner sort of interactions on the show trying to calm him down a little bit and uh, again as much as steiner's there as this star having medesia there in the background who who has an intense presence behind him i don't think she's there as kind of eye candy 
maybe not to the same level as China, but certainly filling that China-esque role. She's his handler. Yeah. She's there to calm him down or unleash him. So, so well, you're it's saying, getting harder and harder for her to do that. Yeah, and they, they did a really good job of putting that over on commentary, actually. They mentioned that uh, she was always the person that uh, Steiner listened to and was the voice of reason, and even she wasn't getting through to it. She really put a lot of emphasis on the fact that Sky Steiner was very unhinged this episode, very much driven to, I just want to break things. People add stuff around. And it was it was really compelling television. Between Steiner and, and the commentary, as Tom says, it made that main event feel massive. Like that main event felt so so bit. I was really really looking forward to the main event by the time it rolled around, which I don't I don't know how often you can say that about a Goldberg match because obviously they usually just cut paste so formulaic. But no, I was really really looking forward to the main event, and so were the crowd. The crowd in the arena, there was there was there was a palpable feeling, and you could feel it. You know, as that match built up, it was it felt huge <laughs> to watch two men just slap meat essentially <laughs> <laughs> big meaty men slapping meat <laughs> <laughs> big men with big chests that's all they want to see yeah uh, i judge your question that as well yeah they did in event eventually have a match they had a match at full brawl later on in the year right might be worth watching which which you're right matt i, I think i will go back and watch well mm. go and watch that pay-per-view now which says that awful lot about the way this episode was built and particularly the storyline yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, were we wrong about WCW 2000? Has Rob been proven slowly right? <laughs> no, it just means you were wrong, we were wrong about this episode. <laughs> and the other one and, we rated really the, highly. And all the other ones I've liked. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing is, though, sort of, I watched WCW 2000 at the time, and I guess when we're on that roller coaster ride, and there is some absolute drivel, normally when Terry Taylor's involved. But there, there are some some really good bits, some really entertaining bits. There's diamonds in there. There was many, many weeks during this period where I was more invested in WCW than WWF, and I was watching them both at the time. Yeah, I can see that. Like I say, just we've, we've hit upon some gold, and we've hit we've hit upon some absolute turds in this room. <laughs> but um, this is this is this is very much not giving away my rating later, but this is very much one of the the better episodes. Everyone felt committed as well. Like everyone who was on that show, they were, they looked like they were there for a purpose. They were committed to the character, and they were committed to just putting on a good show. It didn't feel like at any point anyone was half-ass in this. Which can't be said of some of the previous ones we've seen. <laughs> some of the stuff you watch now, you know. Yeah. I mean, this is always the thing. It, you know, most of the time when we have a bad episode, whether it be you know a ninety-five raw or you know one of the WCWs or, or whatever. It always comes down to, yeah, it wasn't great, but it's probably actually better than the current wrestling product, whether that be WWE or AEW. Mm. The vast majority, yeah. There's only a handful of episodes where I can look at and say, that was piss awful. <laughs> I mean, looking at 95, that was an awful year and popularity was really down. And, you know, it, it, it really does look like there's a popularity slash in ring sort of parallel, you know. The in-ring gets worse the less people are watching, so it feels like the actual program itself just gets worse. They don't seem to be doing anything to improve the the waning popularity. I don't think it's necessarily the in-ring because 
the in ring and, and to a certain extent the actual show itself was, was awful in the highest rated episode of, you know the entire war you know yeah no you're right the actual episode itself was the opposite of this yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember that i do remember it even nitro's high was not a good episode so it just goes to show that maybe wrestling fans aren't the best judges of of what is popular yeah. Or it, or, or it reaches the it reaches the peak of the ratings when the the storylines have already started to dip. It just takes a while for the it just yeah. takes a while for it to play out for people to notice. Yeah, I think we should get back to Scott Steiner though, because that, that, that's what <laughs> I'm more than happy to put Scott Steiner's involvement on this show on the top five. I agree uh, with Tom. Jeff Jarrett's a good shout. Yeah, I'm I'm good for Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I th- I think I'm a Jarrett man through and through, <laughs> but uh, for this particular episode, Steiner was the was the centerpiece. They spent the entire show talking about Steiner. They spent the entire show hyping up Scott Steiner. What's he gonna do? He's unhinged, and they made him look fantastic. Uh, so yeah, I, I would agree to put Steiner on there. Yeah. It's hard to disagree, yeah. Although one thing I have to say, Dan, when you were talking a lot about um, him with a lead pipe, one quote constantly going through my head, is there anything more dangerous than Scott Steiner with a lead pipe in his hand? A microphone. <laughs> the whole time. What was that from? I, was it was it TNA? I think that was TNA and Don West. It's in one of the uh, Botchamania videos, because I think it's just before the bit where he, he was in WWE and you hear him on the, on the, on the, on the mic Near the camera bit going, give me a fucking microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Just makes me laugh as well when uh, when TNA were trying to uh, sort of crack India and they had that Rinka King promotion. I don't know if it's still going. They fled. They, they, they flew Scott Steiner out to do some episodes and he just charged into the crowd and people ran away. <laughs> oh, I love that though, that they had Sasha Tendulkar on the first episode. <laughs> yes. What a crossover star. And, you know, it was funny because you'd go online and you'd see all these uh, Americans going, who? And like, yeah. the like going, oh my God, what a star to get on the show. Sachin Tandulka, literally more famous than probably any NFL player or NBA player, by the, hand, by the odd handful. More famous, but is it known by more people than any of them? It's Sachin Tandulka. I, mean, it's a bit, I, I know who the hell it is, and I could not give a flying fuck about cricket. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care, but I know who he is, and I know how highly regarded he was because of how damn good he was. And the I mean, best ever. If you don't know about cricket, he's got to be in maybe the five cricket, as you could name. Oh, easily. Got... easily. Who are your five crickets you can name, Matt? Uh, Flintoff, Root, um, uh, Strauss. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, because <laughs> oh Strauss constantly looks like he's about to sneeze. Is Michael Vaughan? Is he? A... Oh man, he was, yeah. Is he a cricket player? So no, them think... them foreign Tendulkar. Yeah, I think that's about as far as. Oh God, no, Broad, Stuart Broad. I can't believe the Alan Lamb disrespect on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, the, the, those adverts used to do, for, you know, the Lammy and Beefy adverts for yeah. the British <laughs> And Alan Lamb was just there going, quality. <laughs> Can't be that fucking good. <laughs> I am splicing one of them in. Quality. 
throughout the entire thing after every point. Quality. Please do. <laughs> ah, that aroma of quality lamb. Maybe I could just add a nice red onion. What? Oh, I've changed my mind, Beefy. I'll stick to parsnips. Ha-ha! He's already walking. And there's the quality standard landmark. My goodness me. You know you always talk about the sponsors, by the way, just, just before we carry on towards the end. Did anyone notice how badly placed the adverts were in this show? Like, for ran just randomly throughout the show, there'd be like a three-second image of something. Like something that... Judy Bagwell and Buff Bagwell walk into the ring. Then, for no reason, the sixth sense on DVD just popped up and then fucked off again. It was a DVD. It's on video. Get it now on video. Get it now on home video. It just popped up and then wasn't acknowledged. No one talked about it. Then it went away. And then when they put up the graphic of one of the magazines and it was the wrong graphic and she only got annoyed. Uh, what matter are you agreeing with Scott Steiner in rounding off our top five? You've got to. You've got to. He was the focal point and for very good reason. He was absolutely phenomenal in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say the only big star that we nearly didn't mention, although you just mentioned her there, is former WCW tag team champion Julie Bagwell. She Thank took the hardcore champion. She took that, I assume, diamond cutter off the camera like a champ. <laughs> I, I did like the line in commentary from Mark Madden. He was like, look, I like Judy Bagwell as much as the next man. Well, actually, probably a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> How bad was the WCW um, emergency response crew, by the way? It took them ages to get to Stevie Ray after he got biffed in the head. And Judy Bagwell, an old lady with a neck brace on, was left laid out for what was probably three or four minutes during an ad break before they even nearly got there. Uh, well, you see, what happened is Tank Abbott had seen them <laughs> looking at the NSYNC concert and had to educate them. <laughs> God damn it, Tank Abbott. Don't take Tank Abbott's name in vain. <laughs> Chris Canyon could have killed an old lady. <laughs> don't say Tank Abbott's name three times into a mirror at midnight. Prison so dancer will appear. We've got our five. We have the, the general presence on the show and the final of the US Championship Tournament of Mike Awesome and Lance Storm. We've got the gold record ladder match. It wasn't on a pole this week. It was a ladder match between Three Count and the Young Dragons with uh, Tank Abbott on the outside. Uh, we've got just the general appearance of the great Mooter on the show. We have just the wrestling and the wrestling featured Jeff Jarrett, so technically he's made our top five again. Dan's not listening. Dan's not listening. Say it again. <laughs> and no, I heard it. I was just too busy listening to my neighbours arguing. And we have the glorious car crash that is Scott Steiner in 2000. And in general. Mm. The man's just a glorious car crash. Thank God he's so right these days, by the way, after his heart attack. God, yeah, when was that? Yeah, it's easy to forget, it? Wasn't it only like two years ago that he just passed out in the ring? I don't know, because was it before or after his, his like, two-night return to NWA? Wasn't it in TNA? Yeah, I think it's before that, Dan. I think it's a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's before he had that triple tag team with Jordan Grace and Peter Williams and stuff. Thank God he's all right. Mm. 
So now it's time for the ad section of the show. As uh, Matty mentioned, uh, it's a chance to get the sixth sense on VHF. <laughs> I, can't I can't remember the other ads. I just remember seeing it and thinking, wait, what the fuck? Was that... Was it like, is that how they cut into an ad break and it just that's how it was edited on the network? Or was that actually in the broadcast? It was actually in the broadcast. They were trying to link in with I See Dead People to I See a Dead Promotion. <laughs> I just assumed that Judy Bagwell ghost confirmed. Exactly. No, no one can confirm she's actually alive. Yeah, Judy Bagwell was actually dead. Or oh, Bruce Willis. Judy Bagwell was actually Bruce Willis. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the proper twisting? Eh? <laughs> oh, all the kid from Sixth Sense, I don't give a fuck which. Either way, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> there was an advert for New Blood Rising in 26 days. So, uh, that, that's great show. Up. It is a great show. Great pay per view. Watch it drunk. <laughs> you have the opportunity to meet the cat and spice at the um, Toulouse Conference Centre. No, I'm all right. I have no Probably. desire to meet, to meet either of them, to be honest. I'm sure Spice is lovely, but I can't, I can't be bothered going to meet the cat. It's probably the Tulsa Conference Centre, in all fairness. Yeah. Ernest Miller's still there, stalking the halls. <laughs> <laughs> With Virgil. Who do you think is Judy Bagwell? <laughs> <laughs> in the Convention Centre. There was an advert for 1-800-COLLECT. Standard for wrestling at this point, along yeah. with the Castrol GTX. Yeah, they're dicking a lot of biscuit tins at that point, didn't they? Jesus Christ. <laughs> there was an advert for meeting Norman Smiley at uh, the Colorado Springs Box Arena. Prestigious. Ooh. I'm sure Sarah's probably booking tickets to go to Colorado Springs as we speak. I just have to reiterate this was 2000, not 2021. Could be still there, like the like Ernest Villa still there. <laughs> various, various former WCW stars just dotted around the country that you can go and visit. Didn't he use the, the wasn't he a trainer in WWE for quite a while? Still a trainer, he's still yeah. Is he still there? He's still a coach there. That's really cool. Because I mean, to be fair, he did always seem like a rather nice bloke. Northampton's own Norman Smiley, so mm. uh, representing British wrestling uh, on the world scene. And there was an advert for Iron Man magazine, although they fucked it up early in the night when they said it was an advert for WCW magazine and then realised... There's <laughs> <laughs> just that, that annoyance from Shibun. I was told it was going to be something else. Apparently it wasn't. <laughs> there was also an advert that wasn't supposed to be there for OneWrestling.com. And I got really angry, because I don't know if anyone else saw the banner that walks across the, uh, one of the shows, and I got really angry at it because I thought, that's just rude. Like yeah. You walk in a banner that massive and people now can't see what's happening because you want to promote some shitty website, which they ended up cutting from anyway, and the camera was pointed anywhere other than the banner. Well, I was going to mention this within the sign of the night signs, but hmm. some had a sign saying, rent space on this sign. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. I also missed that. I didn't so, miss the fat bloke jiggling his belly in the crowd all night. Oh, in the crowd, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saw it. I saw it. He was just shouting at stuff. Oh, the big fat man. Yeah, the big fat man. He was just shouting. He was looking at something and shouting, then turning to something else. No one was paying attention to him. So, you know, kudos to the guy for being that ballsy. I wish I was that confident myself to shout at stuff. Was, that Mark, was that Mark Madden? <laughs> <laughs> 
He just constantly he'd shout and then grab his belly and sort of do the truffle shuffle. I, I didn't notice him. He was in the top left for the majority of the majority of the show, just there screaming. And think about that fat bastard who goes to Portsmouth home games, or Newcastle home games. Sorry, that one, but balder and more aggressive. Mike Ashley. That's <laughs> <laughs> more aggressive. Very good. In the news today, Mike Ashley's future son-in-law has been put in charge of Sports Direct. And they've offered him a hundred million pound bonus if he can take the share price from six pound fifty to fifteen pounds. Wow! <laughs> they know there's zero chance of him doing it. <laughs> Dangling. I mean, there better be zero chance they can do it because Steve Bruce was on TV today complaining, saying, "Oh, we had to break every transfer rule we've got just to sign Joe Willock. We haven't got any money." So you'd really <laughs> hope they were fucking making it up. You've touched a nerve there, uh, Matty, because when Steve Bruce was manager of town, I mean, he was signing fucking contracts in crayon. I mean, <laughs> it's a wonder there's still a professional football team in Huddersfield after Steve Bruce were there. <laughs> Mike Ashley learning from town's mistakes. There is a wonder that there's a, a football team wherever Steve Bruce has managed. I can't say played for obvious reasons. <laughs> I don't know if it's the worst thing to ever happen to Huddersfield. I mean presumably in the dark age of the Black Death visited, but since then. Fucking <laughs> okay, hell. There's a, there's a plaque memorial, a memorial of all those lost to the Black Death and the almost death of our club because of this prick. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah. Bruce oh. Death. <laughs> I, I survived Steve Bruce and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he's so shit, isn't he? He really is. Just, he's so shit. I survived Steve Bruce and all I got was playing for a drawer under Lou McCary. He's <laughs> <laughs> like a less angry Neil Warnock. At least Neil Warnock's angry and carries pictures of himself in his pocket to give to kids. I, now, hate, now, yeah, I hate Neil Warnock so much. Now, now conversely, Neil Warnock, Huddersfield Town legend. <laughs> Neil Warnock's a fucking bellend. Have I managed Huddersfield yet? Jesus, it feels like a merry-go-round. Well, Warnock got promoted, Bruce. Well, I think he'd already been sacked by the time he got relegated and into administration. But I have uh, fond memories of Neil Warnock because once beat Cardiff to get promoted, and uh, Warnock was absolutely livid, and he refused to shake any of our players' hands, nor our manager at the time, which was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It was like watching a child manage a football team. It was glorious. He is the embodiment of Brexit, isn't he? He really is. <laughs> what were you for? Warnock was at Leeds, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah. But when he was at Leeds, he did an interview saying there's one special club in West Yorkshire, and that's what has failed. Fucking hell. <laughs> well. That's like a certain Everton manager saying um, Everton are a small club, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. In terms of shout-outs that we've had for the show, Andy from Bang Bang Podcast said that uh, UTC was filling the Bang Bang-shaped hole on a Monday. Uh, he said that uh, the episode that we made him watch for the episode that he appeared on was the worst two hours of wrestling he'd ever seen. And so, Andy signed his own death warrant on that one because he said he wanted to come and watch WCW 2000. But it was great <laughs> to have Andy on and uh, always appreciate, uh, appreciate him and Steve over at Bang Bang. 
I'm actually mean, looking forward to him coming back. Does that mean UTT won the war then? No, it just means Bang Bang decided to fuck off on holiday for a bit. Ah, ceasefire. Okay, got it. The war, the war was only ever in uh, in Scottish Danny's mind. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, like uh, Cody Rhodes's? <laughs> Cody Rhodes only exists in Scottish Danny's mind. I mean, that, that's a head fuck. No, Scottish, <laughs> Scottish, Scottish, Scottish Danny's war was more logical. <laughs> Talking about people who volunteered to watch 2000 WCW with us, Chris Bellis at Real Chris Bellis said that... Um, wah, say wah. That, wah, wah. Say that the podcast is excellent. It's like saying the Pope is Catholic. Well, I mean, I don't know what D'Angelo De Niro's leanings are, but <laughs> I, I do enjoy that Pope is pimping. I'll tweet him, I'll ask him, hang on, carry on. Pope, Pope Doobie Pimping and Chris Bellis is uh, is a good egg. Sorry, the look of confusion on Matt and Tom's faces when uh, when we just made the quacking noises. Uh, that's going back to the episode that we recorded with Chris when Tank Abbott was in the ring cutting a promo on the head of security, Doug Dillinger, calling him basically a fat duck body and just making quacking noises just to wind him up. <laughs> Muscle duck. That's a different thing, but I remember Muscle Duck. Did you see that duck from York? What was he called? Tall Boy or something? Long yeah, boy. he's fucking massive. Three foot tall duck. Mags at Pogfather Mags said that Beth stole the show when she appeared on the show. She did. Um, her, uh, her alternative five categories were, uh, were enlightening. One of those being thigh size. I take it you've got a response from uh, the Pope. No, not yet. No, yeah, I'm laughing at what Dan just said. <laughs> and I've got to catch up on the episodes because I've bloody barely been able to. Right, I'm going to. Wait, that's not him. That's a, that's a, that's a Lakers fan. Where is he? Sorry, do carry are you, on. Are you tweeting the actual Pope? Oh, should, should I ask him as well? Yeah, please, both, please please include both at Pontifex and uh, at the Black Pope. At the Black Pope, can you clear something up for at UTT pod? Are you Catholic or not? Tweet. There we go. We'll find out at some point, probably. He's got nothing else going on. Excellent. I mean, <laughs> this show goes out on That Night's Wrestling Podcast channel, as well as our own channel. On That Night's Wrestling Podcast channel, you can go back in the archives and listen to James interviewing. Pope D'Angelo De Niro. Why didn't he ask him? You can. Well, because we're not in a time machine. Why not? <laughs> I feel ripped off on many levels. <laughs> Steve-O, at Total Steve-O, was laughing at our opinion of Phil the Power Taylor. I stand by it. Phil the Power Taylor's a cock end. Angry fat bastard. What? <laughs> Danny, at Scottish Juggalo, said that... He was laughing at Dan blading live on air. Oh, yeah, I scratched, I scratched one of the bites on my leg and started bleeding. <laughs> Twice. Hardware, bro. Yeah. Matty, at Guru of Mattitude, never heard of him. Sounds, Sounds right, prick. Uh, really does, doesn't he? Pointed out that it was the sixth anniversary of Dan appearing on SummerSlam and Dan getting his one and only anecdote. Yeah, yeah, my one. No, and, and, the, and the time I went to NXT, uh, and the time I went to Raw, it just all happened in the same three days. It was massively um, embroiled in that Ryback match. I'm telling you, it it was. I was not. Um, it was it was Ryback versus Big Show versus The Miz, and I'm a Miz fan. Um, I've got nothing against Big Show, but it was just not enthralling at all. And I also had to put up with my phone going off every uh, every few seconds as some dickheads back in England 
kept messaging me to get off my phone. Didn't they, Matty? Yeah, what? Well, I mean, the point was there. <laughs> the phone was more interesting at that point. It was during the Sheamus match as well, evidently. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't enthralled in that either. I can't remember who faced. No idea. <laughs> no idea. Anyway. Do you remember when they had the Muppets on Raw and Sheamus met Beaker and it was like a family reunion? They said, oh, it, was God, his yeah. co- they said it was his cousin, didn't they? He did. He is canon related to Beaker from the Muppets. Yeah. Uh, Made more sense than the Pison wedding in that episode that we watched, Rob. <laughs> it, it did. Unfortunately, it did. Imagine if Big Vito was related to him as well. Um, <laughs> Gary with a G at Rules Impact shouted out the show, so thank you very much for that. Thank you, Gary. Lola Funk at Stuart Sylvester 25. He just discovered that night is wrestling podcast monthly pay per view reviews, and that he was all about sort of night is wrestling. So he said he was going to check out this show as well. So thank you very much for that. Welcome along for the ride and enjoy the chaos. So it's now time for the award section of the show. So Tom, what would you give match of the night to? Match of the night, Michael Awesome Events Storm. I think is my match of the night. To be quite honest with you, there's probably a number of options here you could have picked. Like, like we mentioned earlier on, we, there was a good night of wrestling overall. I think the accumulation of the um, of the US title tournament was was quite a good one, given the time. I could have happily watched those uh, Storm and Mike Awesome go at it longer. Although I would give a shout-out to Mike Awesome against uh, the Great Mooter as well. I thought that was a good match. I think on this show we could we could easily come out with four different matches and I'll be right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No wrong answers. Matty, what was yours? I get that saying four different matches, I get the feeling we're all probably about to say the same match. Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. One, one, one I do want to sort of shout out, weirdly, is the Vampiro match with um, Muta that he lost. Because I think in losing, that was a better vehicle for Vampiro. In a way, like there was after the match, like knocking down the the kiss demon, it, it sort of added to that sort of Vampiro is just in complete control of these people. He can do whatever he wants and just take out whatever he wants, and it it helped the Vampiro character a little bit. But again, like you said, any of the matches that night could have easily taken it. For me, though, Storm and Awesome. I loved on commentary that they were they were putting over that Muta was the reason that Vampiro got into wrestling. Mm-hmm. So much face paint in that match. <laughs> and at ringside. Yeah, so much face paint. And they will go on to tag together in the Dark Carnival, which for a short lived tag team is one of my favourite short lived tag teams, you know. Really you, you cool have... name as well. I'm I just about to say the same thing. Dan, what's your match for the night? I'm breaking rank on this one. I'm going for uh, the franchise versus Billy Kidman. Um, really enjoyed that match. Uh, Kidman came in like a steam train, just charged the ring, as you should with a match like that. One thing that really bugs me in wrestling nowadays is you have these so-called blood feuds, and they just start with a lockup, and they start out tepid and build the pace and all that. This multiple times in this show where people had genuine issues, it started off like a fight. It started off with the one or both of them trying to get to each other or trying to get to the other, and. This was just fantastic. It was just fast. It was just fast-paced action. But I just, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I, I can't 
pinpoint exactly what puts it above some of the other matches, but it really did uh, stand out for me. I literally wrote after the end of it, that was bloody good. In the words of Stone Cold Steve Austin, a shitty lockup is a great way to start a shitty match. Mm. Yeah. But with Dan's point about, you know, you're in a blood feud, Stevie Ray didn't even wait for his fucking music. That yeah. was another another really yeah, cool yeah. touch. I love that Stevie Ray was already practically in the ring when Jarrett was still getting his shit together. I really like that. Yeah. There was a lot of this. Yeah, you've sold my thunder there, Dan, because I, I was going to go for Shane Douglas versus Kidman. And I, th- I think the thing I liked about this, even though we know that Tori Wilson is married to Billy Kidman in real life and we know this storyline, it felt real. It felt yeah. genuinely had that level of hate from it. And it's that suspension of disbelief. It's like the magic show where you go, well, I know how this, this and this happened, but I don't know how that happened. And yeah. it was that moment that felt real, even though you know in the back of your mind it's not. And, and mm. that's Tori and uh, Francha and, and Shane Douglas as, as a unit were incredibly obnoxious. Yeah, they worked very well together, and it's it's rare to see Tori work heel, but she made it work. Mm. Well, she I mean, a really effective heel. It's rare for me, at least, to see a work heel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, technically, that first that her debut when she was the honey trap for David Flair. This is the out and out heel rather than. You know, the audience know she's a heel, but she's pretending to be good at Jews to whoever she's interacting with. Even after the, after the match, she dances over Kidman's, you know, he, he's out, down and out on the floor. She dances and just bends down and slaps him. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, just, yeah, really loved that match. So, Tom, what do you give your moment of the night to? My moment of the night had me creasing. It was when the Young Dragons attacked uh, Ernest Miller. I was creasing so much watching that. And then Stevie Ray walking in going, what the hell is going on here? And he's going, no, no, don't worry. We're friends. Let me just play more with the boys. You could have your match with Jarrett. Oh, wonderful. I never laughed so much at a, a promo. Good stuff. <laughs> and the thing about that segment is, uh, and it clearly shows... Vince Russo loves the Peter Sellers Pink Panther films, you know, because you've got Kato as the guy that is practicing his martial arts skills. He's going to attack him at any moment, and yeah, yeah. he's got ready for that. And that is the character that Russo then goes and packages Okada as in TNA. So it's clearly sort of this thing that's in his mind that he's yeah. in it. But I, I loved it on this show. I mean, obviously, you know, people have their opinions about what happened in TNA, but. Yeah. Peter Sellers, obviously. Fantastic actor of the 1960s, so a great callback there. Once again, the levels on this show. Not <laughs> Sellers. I have to say, actually, you say Peter Sellers, that's doing a massive disservice. Burke Kwok, a fantastic actor as well. I will take your word for it. <laughs> Not now, Kato. Right, what's your moment of the night? Hi. Nash's return. Because it was uh, out of left field, you didn't expect it. The crowd were hot for it, and it just came. It, it was a culmination of a really. The crowd were hot all night, and to have the energy they had for the entire night. And then in that main event, you thought, right, this is fever pitch. This is as good as it gets now. These are the two top guys on this show. Then Nash coming out as soon as that that wolf howl hit, the crowd just exploded. 
and he felt like a star again, you know, and I'm not often happy to see Nash as a rule of thumb because he's, you know, he's, he's Kevin Nash, he's all right. But it, I was very happy to see him at this point because the crowd invested me in the moment. It was OMG. a really good way to end the show. OMG, Kevin Nash, WTF, I thought he was dead. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> or as Kevin Nash, OMG, Terry Funk, I thought you were dead. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, I didn't know he'd been missing off TV. So, like, for me, that was kind of a, why are they going that metal for Nash? Oh, that now makes sense. He was he was either over or the crowd was just in fever pitch from what the, they were seeing happening in front of them because it was so well built. But it just, it, it was the best pop of the night. And for me, it was, a, it was a really good moment. And it did leave you wanting to see more of what, what you'd just seen. Although I did also write down Storm winning the US title as, as sort of a, uh, an honourable mention. Because uh, for, for a Lance Storm moment, it actually felt like it had some emotion to it, if you know what I mean, which was weird for Storm. He was always so stoic and serious. But yeah, there was that as well, which I thought was really, really quite a good moment. It's funny with Lance Storm winning the title, because at the time I thought I, I wished we'd have got like, you know, a promo out of him. But then I was sort of thinking, well, we've had three Storm promos up to this point, so... You know, would I be complaining about the Lance Storm drinking game had I got that? So it just goes to prove you can never make a wrestling fan happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, with with Lance Storm, he wanted to let his wrestling do the talking, and he did winning the title and and leaving is perfect for his character. Well, he, he was getting backstage to get a maple leaf over the top of that uh, stars and stripes, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. What's, what's your moment of the night, Dan? Got to agree with Matty. Uh, Kevin Nash's return, it was the biggest pop of the night. It was completely unexpected. Um, it added another level to the uh, to the main event scene because you got him jackknifing two, two of the biggest motherfuckers in WCW. And then he just looks at Booker T, just gives him a nod and leaves. He's like, I ain't got any beef with you because uh, Steiner had turned on him and Goldberg and Nash had been going after this feud for uh, for Scott Hall's contract. So it just it furthered that nicely and it left the door open for a future program with Booker. Yeah. I am going to go with the great Mooters promo package at the start of this. I, I thought it was an excellent use of the archive footage in an era when people, you know, didn't have the ability to go on the network. You know, you might be able to go down to the local blockbusters and see what they had. They probably wouldn't have had those obscure events that they had from 91 and 92 in there. You know, this is footage you wouldn't normally see. They were promoting that it was a big deal. And he came in and gave a very credible performance. So, yeah, uh, I think it's a multi promo package for me. Fair play. So, Tom, who would you give your MVP of the night to? Uh, we've been talking about him all, all podcasts, really. Lance Storm, I think, is uh, is my answer here. Worked three matches. Worked a uh, wonderful promo. You know, a rewarding US title victory at the end of it all. If I, be- I believe he also goes on subsequent weeks and wins another couple of titles as well. He holds three belts. It's a good point in Lance Storm's career, despite the fact he dis- he dislikes it. But he worked his ass off on this show. Yeah. Uh, I think he deserves MVP. Yeah, within a couple of weeks, he'll be Canadian champion, 100 kilogram and under champion, although he was over 100 kilograms, and Gatron Hardcore International title. Uh, the shit, yeah. yeah. King shit. <laughs> they all had maple leaves on. It was glorious, and it's the 
best period of Lance Storm's career, bar none, and I would fight Lance Storm over that. And you're going to have to. Um, Good-looking belts. Good-looking belts. Mm. Matty, who would you give for your MVP of the night to? Opposite end of the spectrum on that one, Mike Awesome, for, for reasons I covered earlier, really. I think... Same as Tom said, he had three three matches, all three very, very good matches. And that was in spite of him having to deal with the fat chick thriller bullshit and having large ladies bloomers, I think they were called on commentary, thrown at him and having to sell that. Like, he, he was, at least on this show, he was giving chicken shit and he turned it into chicken salad. So I enjoyed it and I thought he was very good all night. MVP for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going along with Tom. It's got to be Lance Storm. Three quality matches, three quality promos, leaves US champion you, uh, for a nice no, work. He didn't leave US champion, Dan. Yes, he did, because he's not rebranded the belt yet. No, he left Canadian champion. He said, when I win this belt, it is the Canadian championship. He did, on the promo at the beginning. But the, the rebrand wasn't official. He left the United <laughs> States champion. To the he lady in the yellow t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> to the... Yeah, so next show is Canadian. If if it fits in time wise, he will be Canadian heavyweight champion. Uh, but yeah, it's it's Landstorm for me. We, we've waxed lyrical about it. I don't think I need to go into any more detail. Absolutely fantastic uh, evening for him. Yeah, I'm going with Canadian champion Landstorm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the things I loved about it at the time, you know, obviously. Living in Yorkshire, there wasn't a region that we got WCW. There, there was World of Sport, and then there was a big gap, and then finally, you know, we get Nitro and stuff. Uh, obviously, we got WWF on, on Sky, but there'd been sort of this this dearth and this absence, and and then we thought, you know, we're watching American wrestling, and there was a couple of other bits. You know, you'd occasionally get the Auto Bands promotion, you'd occasionally get episodes of Glow, that kind of thing on Sky uh, or one of the Sky channels, but. For the most part, we get it sort of shoved down our necks that this is American presentation. Mm-hmm. And this is the alternative. And we end up with a Commonwealth champion representing Commonwealth country, Canadian <laughs> champion, Landstorm. <laughs> I, I mean, if you look at the European Championship in WWE, that was bullshit. I mean, who's the most famous person associated with that? D'Lo Brown. Yeah, I'm <laughs> pretty, sure. Pretty cool dog. Kurt Angle. When he held them both. Uh, to be fair, to be fair, I do think that Kurt Angle is from Rochdale. <laughs> <laughs> One more gold medal for Team GB in that in '96. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, Tom, who would you give the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night to? Memorial. Uh, so I, I was thinking there's quite a number of people actually I thought I had quite outstanding haircuts. But I'm going to give it this one to someone who I thought was consistent in his haircut through many decades, and that is uh, Charles Robinson. <laughs> Charles Robinson, he looks the spitting image now as he did then. The hair is the same, it's immaculate. Charles Robinson is the guy. Little Nate for the win. I'm sure Pat McAfee said on commentary the other day that he'd been refereeing since the 1950s. <laughs> Didn't realise Pat McAfee was that old. <laughs> Who would you give the René Goulet award for asking the haircut the night to my? I? I didn't know Tom was on this podcast, so now I feel bad. But 
I gave it to Great Muta because I thought it was majestic that he had this massive bird's nest that was clearly balding in the middle. It's every time... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Tom was on, so I just wrote, and the bald spot won it for me. <laughs> wow. I'm taking high offence, Matt. <laughs> that constitutes a personal attack, I do believe. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. We yeah, great... <laughs> I'll bring Great Mooter and his bald spot. <laughs> if, if you like, he's now completely bald, I believe, so... He's all thinned out. But yeah, great move for me. I'd love it if the next time that uh, Tom sees Matty in person, he uh, moot a mists him. <laughs> Just spits in my face. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Comment, <laughs> <laughs> Dan? Mine goes to the man with the tinfoil braids, Sugar Shane Helms. <laughs> He had shitty, shitty braids and they were just intermittently wrapped in what looked like tinfoil. It was awful. Fantastic. I have been waiting for several episodes of this, waiting for his return. He was there in the background of Louis Farouk's Weird Weekends when he went to the WCW power plant. It's got to be Kiwi. <laughs> Kiwi. Kiwi. <laughs> uh. Well... Kiwi. Is, it, is it Kiwi or Kiwi? Because it was listed as Kiwi. It's, well, it's spelled Kiwi, but I think it's pronounced Kiwi, right? Is it Scott Damar? Kiwi. It's not Scott Damar. It's uh, Alan Funk. It's Kiwi. That's his name, Alan Funk. Not really. Kiwi's better. Kiwi is better. Yeah, that is, I, that is an amazing haircut. I just love it where, the, you know, Louis Farouk's already thrown up. They're trying to make him do, you know, more reps in the ring. And Kiwi's there, the one that's trying to wear... Uh, you know, put his arm around him and uh, get him through more taunting in the power plant. It was, it was all very much its time, the haircuts in the show, wasn't it? It was all so late 90s, early 90s. So much, so many spikes, hair gels and blonde bits. It just it was so a product of the time. And amidst it all, Mike Awesome's mullet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and great, and great move was thin spot. It's all right. Here's some car touch up paint. It'll be fine. <laughs> So, Tom, what would you give the sign of the night to? I think this is the uh, this is the category that I spent the longest working on. I went Sorry. through I went through the episode with a fine tooth comb, fast forwarding, record walking uh, forward, pausing, frame perfect pauses to see every single sign I could find. And the sign that made me laugh the most was a sign that said Goldberg eats corn the long way. <laughs> I didn't even see that one. That is mm-hmm. excellent signage and good signage spotting. You, you're going to love me for this, Tom. I did the complete opposite. I just picked the first sign that I saw, and I've got Goldberg eats corn the long way. Nice. nice. <laughs> Literally, I saw it in the main event. I went, that's good. And wrote nice. that down. Nice. Because I forgot about the sign award until the main event. Nice. Nice. You're just, sucking, you're just sucking up to Tom after the bald spot comment. Yeah, I've got, I don't think you can read it, but you can, it's written down there. It also says, um, but so many damn Jarrett ones. Because Jarrett was over. No, it wasn't. He almost should have made our top five, if you ask me. He did. Yeah, I mean, let's get, let's get rid of the in-ring, actually, and we'll put Jarrett there instead. Nope. <laughs> I think if you look up in-ring wrestling in the dictionary, you just get a picture of the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett. And if you, if you look for pictures of Booker's, you get Jeff and his dad. 
It's the whole family tree of them. Anyway, what? It's the, it's the, it's the Jarrett Wrestling Dictionary you're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> on, is it that time? I was going to say, is it that time? I'm going back through the, uh, the signs here. Starting from the end of the show and working backwards, somebody in the main event simply had a sign that said, boobs are good. <laughs> they are. Boobs are good. Based on my storm promo earlier in the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, someone had a sign that said, Goldberg is a bitch. There was uh, someone who must have been bitterly disappointed. Uh, I'm just here to see Miss Hancock. <laughs> Unlucky. Uh, somebody had a sign at the entrance where that said, I've got a yeast infection. <laughs> <laughs> there was... Uh, the, <laughs> that, that was actually... That may have broken Matty. <laughs> of that person not telling the partner right. he's, he's finding fucking out now someone had a sign that said can you tell me if Haywood Jablomi is wrestling hilarious classic 2000s joke somebody had a sign for Mike Orson that just said cut the mullet <laughs> no he needed to keep that somebody else had a sign that said the rock fears Jarrett at this point in time no he fucking does not Always for this, Jarrett. Nobody does. Nitro was slightly turning into Tinder again when somebody had a sign that said, Canyon, let me feel the bang. Uh, there was, uh, came towards the beginning now, one said, Hogan is wrestling. No, he's fucking not. <laughs> he was not there. Uh, someone had a sign that simply said, my sign says, but, B-U-T-T. And someone that, had taken the time to go to the show and take a sign that said, I came all the way from Findlay to see this crap with three question marks. It's like, yes, you did. And I don't know, it's like, that's like the early 2000s version of, of just watching something and uh, just shitting on it on Twitter, I guess. But the sign of the night for me is during the Lance Storm versus Mike Arson match, somebody walked through the crowd and they had a sign where they'd just drawn a giant cock and balls on it. <laughs> I somehow missed that. Just knackers, a shaft, and a big helmet. Was it the yeast infection person? Were they showing how it happened? No. They were, if, if they were, they got around the arena pretty well. Because <laughs> the, uh, as, as the camera looks down the entryway, you know, towards where the wrestlers are coming in, the yeast infection sign was to the right there, and this cock and ball sign was uh, right opposite hard cam. Hard cam, ha! <laughs> put, put the hard in hard cam. <laughs> it's funny because Willie's. And directions. <laughs> and we're back to wanking. <laughs> you can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> Talking about things that were wank, when the cat was making his way to the ring, someone had a sign in the crowd which he actually held up and it said, the cat, if you got to call your mama, you use 1-800-COLLECT. <laughs> Gene Oakland. <laughs> Brilliant. And obviously, then the cat is going to go on and have somebody call your mama as his theme in WWE. So the levels. During one of the Mike Awesome matches, someone had a sign that said, Canadians are better than us. Yes. Not I wrong. did see that one. Not wrong. There was a sign that says Steiner fears Booth, and I'm assuming they mean Huddersfield Town legend Andy Booth. <laughs> that can that can only be the lo- that can be the only logical explanation. I can't see any fault with that. I can't. I can't. I'm absolute legend. I mean, even I've seen him playing defence, and he was still brilliant. So Scott Steiner. Yeah. 
No, Andy B. <laughs> Scott Stanley was on the bench because Booth was keeping him out of the team. <laughs> and, and to be quite honest, if Andy Booth had come to 2000, WCW would have been champion. Tank Abbott, Tank Well, what we really needed was Tank Abbott versus Gary Maddott. Big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> I'm sure Alan Lamb would have loved that. Um, <laughs> Couldn't tell you. But my sign of the night is Mike Awesome, number one mullet. Yeah, that's me. That's very on brand for the show. It was. So, Tom, what would you rate this show out of 10? Uh, I thought it was pretty solid overall. Good night. I'd probably put it about an eight, I think. It's um, maybe one of one to tune in to uh, subsequent weeks. You know, you put out a lot of good, good wrestling, a lot of good stories that we need to progress. I definitely want to see the accumulation of Steiner and Goldberg. They teased that very nicely uh, with the no contest finish. And returning Nash was great. So, yeah, solid show overall. I feel like I'm going around converting people to 2000 WCW at this point. Mm. No, you're converting people to this episode. <laughs> Matty, what, what would you rate out of 10? I wrote a mild summation. I wrote, have you ever gone for a poo and waited and waited just for some shit to happen? And knowing when it does, it's going to be dense and it'll probably hurt, but at least it'll be over soon, right? That's what I went into the show expecting, and I was really wrong because it was really quite good. There were some negatives of it, like I said. I think the fact that they tried to squeeze a seven-match tournament and other matches into it, they maybe could have got rid of one of the filler matches. Like, Did they need Stevie Ray and Jeff Jarrett to happen on this show? Could it not have been a, okay, next week you can have him sort of thing and let maybe the the the, 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 the tournament final have maybe five more minutes? While it was really well interwoven, it did feel messy at some points. The commentary was, it was all right up until the main event when it really, really hyped it. But yeah, overall, I went for a seven on this one. I gave it a seven out of ten because I thought that the in-ring really dragged it up. Even the little negatives I was picking were nitpicky, but the in-ring was uh, was really quite good. Seven out of ten. Excellent. Dan, what would you give it? I'm just taking a moment to bask in the glory of Matty giving a positive rating. One to a Russo show and two to a WCW 2000 Russo show. Having described it as taking a shit. Expecting to be, for it to be like taking a shit. Yeah, a tricky shit. <laughs> <laughs> this show was a tricky shit. <laughs> you thought it was going to be. Yeah, so like it was just a, an amusing fart. <laughs> <laughs> And who um, doesn't like an amusing part? <laughs> Seven out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Breath of the Wild. <laughs> so, yeah, getting to my ratings, it won't be my usual ratings ramble because uh, my head's starting to hurt. But um, it was the first Nitro for a while. That, uh, in fact, the first episode of anything for a while where I was... Just amazed at how quickly the time passed. It was well-paced. It was entertaining for the most part. So go straight into my... Uh, my ratings for each individual bit. Uh, the in-ring stuff was probably the, like I said, it was probably the strongest actual wrestling show we've seen. Um, so I gave that a, a seven out of ten. The promos, there weren't too many on the show. They were all, but they were all above average or great. You know, we've spoken about how well Lance the cat stuff when he was in the ring when Steiner went after me, calling him a stupid bitch, and things like that. Um, I'd give the promos an eight out of ten. 
the production uh, overall you know the lot the pyro the lighting the the backstage stuff was all really well done the only problems were mark madden's commentary but he got missed him so that kind of balances it out and he pooed himself when tank abbott walked near him so again balances it out uh, and the uh, the graphical fuck up were the only really sort of production issues of note so i've given the production uh, an eight out of ten storyline it was a great tapestry like we said before classic russo exactly what i like to see it's the storylines are interwoven to a point where it it feels more like television or movie world building you do see storylines passing by each other or, or slightly interacting and interweaving so give that a nine which is the first nine i've given for a while i think the fan response the crowd were all right for the most part throughout it um like i said the only major pop i can remember is um is kevin nash so i gave them i gave the fan response six six out of ten definitely been worse crowds there have been a few better so that comes to a seven and a half out of ten for me excellent yeah it's, it was a funny one for me this one it, it really was Th- there was definitely that level of storytelling and i loved it i thought there was a little bit i don't know that it, it almost felt to me like there was a little bit too much wrestling on the show it, which is, is daft for a wrestling podcast. Until you remember our mantra of the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling. Yeah. You know, I think if there'd have been a little bit less wrestling and a bit more storyline, I might have rated it slightly higher. I'm going to agree with you, Dan, on the uh, 7.5. I, I don't think it quite hits the the levels, maybe, of, you know, the reboot and stuff, where, where it was very mm. wrestling light and very storyline heavy. But... Yeah. A, a very enjoyable show and a very good balance between you know between the two in hindsight but yeah I, i'm all for the crazy and if you dial that crazy knob up for me i'm i'm gonna rate it higher yeah that's fair enough and i'd, I'd probably go along with that to a point um but like Matty says you know did did you need that many matches could you you say you could have put a few more story elements in would that have bumped it up to an eight eight point five nine who knows? But as it is, it still leaves it. I think being in the, uh, you know, definitely in the upper echelon of shows we watched. It is so weird because it feels so anti-Russo to have a tournament. Mm. You know, I know when Bischoff and Russo were writing TNA, I know that Bischoff was one of the main driving forces behind the Bound for Glory series, which I absolutely mm. loved, and I, I know, I know Russo hated that. And I guess that's a little bit different because it's like a round-robin tournament. And it's like, well, everyone's going to look bad because people have to beat each other sort of thing. You know, so I, I know he has sort of these feelings about tournaments. So it was it was weird to see that he'd, he'd booked this. But having said that, the storylines ran through it well. Yeah, it, it's just one of those that had somebody else booked it, I'd have probably been more receptive to it. And I know that sounds stupid and probably a bit of a silly reason to downgrade it. I mean, it's been proven um, in the past, if you think about it, that one-night tournaments are a bitch to, to book. Look at WrestleMania 4. Like, yeah. that show just it just doesn't feel right. That, and that was so many matches. Yeah, it's just too much wrestling can be a problem. Again, like you say, that sounds weird, but, you know... It, it doesn't because me and Rob reference it frequently. NXT yeah, yeah. UK, 
wrestling is a lot about showmanship as well. It's not just about the in-ring stuff. There is a lot of bravado. There's a lot of talking yourself up and talking up an angle. And while a match can carry that element to a point, you know, you can you can drive it home. Often you do sort of need that exposition in the form of a promo, in the form of a vignette, in the form of something not a match. But, yeah, it, did, it didn't detract as much from, for me as the show as it did Rob, but, yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, but but still, you know, seven point five is a, is a decent rating, and you know, a very enjoyable show. Mm, absolutely. Uh, again, with this sort of era of Nitro, no one's rated this on Cage Match. I will go and uh, add my rating to it when it drops. I'd probably give it an eight on there because we don't do half marks, so <laughs> that will bump me up. Um, I, I think we have the same Joker on Wrestling Day that was on last week's show because the. Only one person has rated it, and they've rated it five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> if, we all go on cage five, match, if we all go on cage match now and put the ratings that we just gave it, that episode's going to have an average of like seven, seven and a half, eight. Yeah. It's yeah. going to look really good. There's no half ratings on there, so it would have an average of eight. I mean, it was, a re- it was a really good show. But, you know, there's no getting around it. I mean... I've got little nitpicks to it, which is the thing that's not pushing it into an eight or a nine for me. But mm. it was a, a really good, really entertaining show. Yeah, I think we yeah, definitely all agree on that. Yeah. So, Tom, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Chris Van Dam. If you want to follow me on Twitter, um, you can also follow me on Twitch if you like it, Tom Van Dam. I don't stream anymore. I haven't streamed in quite some time, but you should still follow me on there and subscribe and give me all the money. I'm fine with that. I have no guilty conscience over that, so please do. <laughs> That's pretty good. Bye. I am Twitter and Twitch, both the same name. I am Guru of Matitude on both. I do stream um, with some level of frequency. I try and do every Thursday and Saturday, I think, is my current schedule. And for, it gets disjointed every week by different game releases and stuff. But if you follow me on Twitch and just turn on my notifications, you'll see when I'm on. Or if you follow me on Twitter, I will always tweet when I'm live. And again, that's Guru of Matitude on both platforms. Excellent. Dan? You can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21. Uh, usually tweeting wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date and movies that are 25 years out of date. This week, I watched The Crow for the first time, uh, which was very enjoyable. And I, I now understand so much more of Sting's character work over the years. So it was nice for that jigsaw puzzle piece to fall into place. Uh, you can also hear me on uh, that 90s wrestling podcast doing the monthly pay-per-view reviews with James, Mags and Rob here. I remember years ago, I'd gone to a pub with a mate, and I think there must have been some kind of cosplay or sci-fi convention near the pub, and there was this guy who was dressed as the crow, and we went up and said, oh, wow, you, you're dressed as Sting, you're a wrestling fan sort of thing. He'd never watched any wrestling. So. <laughs> we had nothing in common with him, he had nothing in common with us, but, you know. And just just left him left each other alone for the rest of the night. Exactly. <laughs> you can find me at UTT Rob uh, unless you want to talk about the crow. I won't know anything. It's more about the mutuals than um, the followers, so I'm more than happy to follow back. You can find the show on uh, our own podcast channel if you search for Unbooking the Territory, or if you search that '90s wrestling podcast, and you'll also find us there for the monthly pay-per-view reviews we're just about to go to a review of SummerSlam 93 that uh, emanated from the same arena as this show so uh, that'll be interesting to see uh, 
see the place packed out for a change. <laughs> Ooh, nice little dig. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, you know, SummerSlam, so it shouldn't be a comparison. Although, to be fair, there were, you know, episodes of Nitro that got over 40,000 in, so maybe not. But yeah, it, so the next episode we're going to cover will be the highest rated episode um, that Vince Russo has. And it's on TV, and it's War Games. So uh, that'll be interesting. So, yeah, thank you for listening. Hey, you're pretty cute. I said you're cute. Yeah, well, this is serious business. This isn't the dating game. This is wrestling. I don't sing. I don't dance. When I'm in my gear, I don't smile and joke. Tonight, I win the U.S. heavyweight title. And in a tournament where you have to wrestle three times in one night... All that sports entertainment crap goes out the window. It's time to shut up and wrestle. And that's what I do best. Because I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And tomorrow morning, when I take that title home with me, they're going to have to rename it the Canadian Heavyweight Title.